So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. How is it, Jen? Tell us. It's beautiful. What's it hits your lips? It's so good. What kind of beer? This is First Impressions. We are drinking a nice IPA from Hellbent. I believe it's a mountain drop. Perhaps mountain... Sounds right. Something or other. I did not pay attention quite long enough. I think we have still it. managed to not drink the same beer twice. Is that possible? It's correct. That is kind of amazing. I, unless you count recording the end of the other episode while drinking the no, beer that we drink. No. Okay. I don't count that yeah. because it doesn't, it's not convenient yeah, each, for what we're going for. Each episode has so. its own unique beer to start. Yes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Yeah. Let's try Delicious. It. Cheers. Mmm. Mmm. You know, our walk to the brewery was on a crisp fall day, and this just fits right in yeah. with the weather. It's kind of got that Lovely. sunny tinge to the end of it. Mm. It's not quite tangy, but it's like hoppy enough to be acidic in a nice yeah. way. Yeah. Very smooth. Very fall. Oh, yeah. It's just nice. like all these other beers, somehow. They're all very mm. fall-oriented. We They're all appropriate. Here. Yeah, I agree. Hellbent Brewing. Certified by us. We are assuming the sponsorship's just like stuck in the mail. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, weird area code things, ha or zip code things happen yeah. when they're like two blocks away. You yeah. know, you send it, and then they get confused, right? You didn't just walk it over. Yeah. It happens, it happens. It's Million right. dollar check-in. I forgive it. Yeah. We'll work it out. Gotta get a business listed address, that might be a problem. Yeah, could be on us, I guess, yeah. that's fair. So, this week we're gonna be doing uh, first impressions of In Fabric from Peter Strickland and Destroyer from Karen Kusama. Do you have a preference on which we watch first, Michael? Let's do Destroyer. I know your whole story. Placing our agent undercover, she'll look right enough next to our guy. If we do this, we accept the consequences. Yes. Do you love me? You know I do. All right, Michael, we just watched Destroyer. What do you think? I'm very intrigued. I love Nicole Kidman. Looks like a hell of a performance. Uh intense um i can't quite tell if it looks like she's um a cop undercover or just once was a cop what sense did you get narratively i got that she was at one point an undercover cop and that she mm. could be re rejoining the force and going back got in it. and yep. maybe fighting against psyche vows or something to get back mm. in oh interesting that yeah yeah you know like you you're on to something i definitely saw that but they don't really give us clarity yeah nor yeah. do they show very much at all of the second listed actress tatiana maslany oh i didn't even realize one of the in reasons it. why i'm most excited for this and they barely show her uh mm. where she's basically got her teeth bloodied and she's laughing mm. like a lunatic classic orphan black tatiana maslany yeah i have not seen uh orphan black but she was in stronger too right yes she was and i heard she was great from director that, so. david gordon green yeah sounds like she uh she's got lots of ahead of her sounds yes like. yeah very talented yeah. gal yeah um I'm intrigued by the, uh, you know, somewhat of a physical transformation. Um, it doesn't look um, too heavy-handed. I sort of like the makeup job that, that it looks like we're getting. Um, 
it looks like she has uh, perhaps a troubled history, to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, she has that kind of defeated, pained um, Very much look it, about her. It evokes um, Monster. Yeah, that Charlize definitely Theron. came to mind. I, um, I was and blanking I was also, on the name of it. Yeah. also thinking about Charlize Theron's film Tully from earlier this year, where they mm. do some really good makeup work to make her look very exhausted. Yeah, yeah, exhausted. That is another word that yeah. seems fitting. Um, yeah, don't know that young actress um, who looked like maybe w- uh, will be her daughter. Um, yes. But uh, intrigued. I, I get the sense that we might be going through a large timeline. Yeah. In this film. So I wonder if that daughter character is Tatiana Maslany when we get to the mm. end. Because um, the end of the trailer, she's got the bloody face. Nicole mm. Kidman throws her in a trunk. And in the beginning, she's talking to her at a table. Um, yeah. And she says she just want to do. She just wants to do one thing right in this trailer. Mm. And I'm thinking maybe that's like not let her daughter ruin her life because mm. maybe her undercover work led her to fall in love with Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan dies. Then she's mm. trying to be a single mother who's an undercover cop, mm. which yeah. does not work when you're spending you know nine months at a time. Yeah, uh, yeah. doing something like that. So, yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah, and kind of an an interesting visual color scheme you know when i think about sort of a, a gritty crime drama i kind of as i think of certain colors i kind of think of like grays blacks kind of browns but those smoke bombs were like kind of like neon purples Ooh. um some nice kind of changes of hues um that might uh kind of be some some nice uh, visual surprises yeah the, so. the way that they were landscaping out like the bank and stuff um for these for these moments of the heist other than when they're giving her rear profile shots which were very much um you were never really here yeah yeah it, that totally. very much evokes that but that made uh the landscapes and, and the more general shots made me think of mm. Heller high water oh yeah definitely and kind of the the tone of the the rural rustic um bank job ah uh, yeah i was thinking like a like sicario even though that's you know more drug focused um mm. You know, I I was thinking gritty crime dramas, um, but hell yeah. or high water for sure. Yeah, yeah especially kind a... of because of maybe the locations specifically. Yeah, yeah. It also got like Den of Thieves vibes for me, but oh yeah, you know Nicole Kidman picks up an Uzi and starts wasting guys in masks. That's pretty. I'm in. Pretty Den of Thieves ish. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's destroyer. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. You're looking forward to it. Definitely. Uh, she's got a strong chance from what we've heard, the rumblings out of festivals to be at least nominated for best actress for this yeah. performance and it certainly looks that way yeah definitely has some of those oscar uh bait like traits right the physical transformation mm-hmm. we know the oscars love those yes. so yeah i could see it yeah oldman mm-hmm. got an award for it last year yeah so. charlie theron monster yep yeah yep. all right Promising. let's hop over to in fabric from peter strickland let's do it and may I interest you in other desired supposes in our exclusive boutique? I'm fine for now, thank you. Then I would like you to announce your locus of residence, followed by the numbers to your telephone. Sheila Wallchapel, 16 Ferndale Road, Thames Valley on Thames, 01632 we just watched the trailer for In Fabric from Peter Strickland. What do you think? I'm fascinated. I'm yes. very excited. Um, yeah, so as I already said, I haven't seen Barbarian Sound Studio, but I did see uh, The Duke of Burgundy. Did you see that one? Nope. That is a very strange movie. Um, I don't know if Barbarian Sound Studio was um, similarly strange and if that's just it's this director. It's certainly an eerie 
uh, strangeness not visually similar to this. Yeah. Um, completely because of the hazy eeriness that you get here, but it's yeah. it's more of a super clear mm. um, visual sound mm. eerie. Mm, yeah, yeah, very much a uh, sonic mm-hmm. experience. Um, and character-driven piece. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while since I saw the Duke of Burgundy, but it's very strange, and it was so strange that it, it's almost kind of hard to remember, like, the narrative and broad strokes. I just remember, like, certain moments that were just so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, that one's about um, two wi- two women in this lesbian romance, and um, S&M kind of plays a big role. Ah. So, to me, this this maybe has some, some kind of... Uh, sexual tension here in a way there's something kind of running through it um perhaps about sexuality that's maybe the only kind of through line i could draw i'm kind of going off power much and sexuality here. maybe yeah um but tonally it also feels kind of lynchian mm. um to me like it's kind of like vaguely menacing at the same time that it's very ordinary um i'm intrigued yeah, what do you think or ordinary menace is a good way to put that yeah. type of a styling yeah yeah um it looks fascinating. Yeah. It's got this general haziness to at least the trailer. Yeah. Where you see everything clearly, but you feel like you don't have a clue what's going on visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, I mean, he, this director is very, very good mm-hmm. at making the actors d- uh, affect the atmosphere and the way that a viewer feels, I think. Mm. Yeah. And I definitely got that translation. I was also yeah. kind of thinking, it, it reminded me a bit of this film with um, Gemma Arterin and Saoirse Ronan called Byzantium. It's a oh. vampire film. Uh, just just kind of the the sense of place that this evokes using landscapes where there's mm. like these people that don't seem to matter in mm. this like very auspicious uh, landmark or, or um, inhabiting this space. It, it mm. very much evoked that film for me. That's which, interesting. I haven't seen that you one. Know, it, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to recommend it, but it's it's mm. one that I think it is nice to just have in the pocketbook. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know either of those actresses, um, but I was captivated by both of them. Um, yeah, yeah, just like you said, the performances seem to kind of be tethered to the atmosphere, just like the way that lady, the clerk, was blinking, mm-hmm. just slowly Very blinking. Very vampiric, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, you, you think you know what a clerk looks like, and she looks like that, but she also just looks off. Yeah. So I'm not sure what we're missing. <clears throat> Quite off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the, uh, like, where were the microphones for the pneumatic tube? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, why didn't she say, like, address the microphone or, like, address yeah. this thing? Like, why, why yeah. did she, like, look at her longingly and act like she was telepathic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those that seems to, like, pose more questions than it does give us any answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also thought at the end of it. Uh, why didn't we pair this one with her smell? <laughs> yeah, really. Those would go nicely together. Atmosphere. Cryptic trailers. Um, well, should we hop over to our indie festival title, uh, Streamer, from Jared Bratt and Vincent Pun? Let's do it. Are you in love? She has a boyfriend. Are you sure I can't lose this bikini for you? I just want you to like me. You want to take the lead, or should I? Uh, you want to give us the rundown first on uh, where it's playing in that yeah. uh, deal, or save that for after? 
we could start Thank at you. the beginning. Yeah. So the film stars Jared Bratt and Tanya Lee. It is a psychodrama, and it's currently in film festival runs and seeking distribution. It could be available soon in digital formats. You can see it Sunday, October 28th at the Fantastic Horror Film Festival at 11.15 a.m. in San Diego at the Ultra Star Mission Valley in Hazard Center, San Diego, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you can also check for screenings near you at streamerfilm.com or follow them on Streamer Film on Facebook for updates. Uh, Jared Bratt, the co-director and star, is currently working on Blue Dream, which is a kind of a noir romantic uh, feature film that he told me about. And then um, he has a proof of concept for his co-director's film, um, Sweet Blood, on his Vimeo. And uh, Vincent Pun is the co-director working on Sweet Blood. And that is a, uh, I believe it's it's kind of a genre piece that's uh, a bit of a thriller, um, kind of a twisting the, the vampire genre Ooh, on its head. Um, so that's how you can tune into this. And um, they should hopefully be uh, wide digitally this year. Awesome. So It's awesome. They're staying busy. Fingers crossed. Cool stuff ahead. Yep. Yeah, and you said you, said you saw the proof of concept for yeah. one of these and thought it looked cool. Yeah. Yeah, it looked pretty dang good. So. That's awesome. A lot of them Cheers as we get into it. All right. So yeah. this is very much not a happy film. No. Which is perfect for a Halloween episode. It is. It is, yeah, totally fitting, I think. Yes. Um, I did find it rather bleak. It's, it's the story of a um, loner, essentially. Um, I would definitely a rather say lonely that based fellow. on the YouTube video uploaded at basically the beginning. Yep. Um, the film starts with uh, a character named Jared. Um, uh doing a video blog of some kind um talking about his uh struggle to find a girlfriend his and his and loneliness his struggle with virginity yeah um which he subsequently puts online and yep. um we see him mainly um spending his time by himself in his apartment um uh doing uh video chats with a webcam girl um, yes. with a live you know um i don't know what the right word is other than just a webcam girl right yeah i guess so yeah <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah in terms of just sort of like the broad like broad construction of the film i felt like it was just a really tight kind of clear arc um yeah right um it did not overstay its welcome which is no. something that a lot of uh early directors have a problem with like um what keeps you alive that that was my problem oh, yeah. like if what keeps yeah. you alive would have been this short i think i would have liked it a lot better yeah, I think that yeah. this arc really helps it it stay on tone. Yeah, yeah. I want to say this was like eighty minutes, five minutes. Oh, okay, yeah, something like that. Um, and that felt just right. Um, and tonally, I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, I think it's sort of is doing two things at once. Um, it's sort of working to, well, maybe we can debate this, but I I felt it kind of um, simultaneously working to elicit my sympathy for Jared at the same time that it's. Um, sort of um expressing a concern for um his uh for some of his behavior perhaps um, i absolutely agree there's yeah. no debate to be found yeah yeah um, I, I think it's illustrated by the two narrative ties running which is his um false pursuit and i mean he's honestly pursuing um tanya lee's character who i don't remember the name of i think it's just mm. the girl is how she's listed in the credits so i, I don't know yeah. if she has a name um but the, the way that he's pursuing her and not telling her the truth about what he knows about her mm, at any point yeah. in time um 
and especially until the end when he yeah. proceeds to do what he does which i don't think we should spoil it since it is an unwide yeah. release um it doesn't really serve a purpose i agree um, and it's yeah i agree so uh but th- the way that that capitalizes uh I, I think with the running thread of his mom and his sister trying mm-hmm. to talk to him absolutely um show us within the film's atmosphere what you're saying yeah so like i i think it's absolutely the point yeah yeah and i think uh i was really left guessing um up until the final scene just kind of which way the movie is going to come down Mm. on how it sort of um and sort of what it makes of character jared the character yes um and i think it it does come down with some some clarity um and it's not yeah it's hard to talk it does come down with some clarity too much it does yeah Um, um what do you think about the flashbacks or not the flashbacks sorry the um imagined sequences rather uh what imagined sequences are you thinking of um there's some certain sexual sequences that are not really real um Mm. did you ever buy into those um i think i did yeah i did too you tricked me like four times yeah i actually think they they did work like, for me. like especially yeah. um that that final like crucial scene um on the couch yeah where he's straddled uh i i really was convinced that this is reality yeah and i was so happy yeah, yeah. and then yeah. it was not reality <laughs> yeah yeah this is why i think the term psychodrama really does feel like the most appropriate word to describe it is because it does feel like we're very much oscillating between sort of uh an external perspective and what is going on inside his head or, or um, um you know the the closest we could get to yeah i think that the way that this character is written is is very much in a way where like you can kind of get to what this person's got in their head but you can't really get to the minutia of what they're thinking um, mm. because of the runtime and those constraints yeah. like you can't really get deep into it the way that you can with maybe um like in phantom thread what's uh uh it starts with an a alma um, I think I think that we really come to understand what Alma's thinking all the time. Yeah. In the, yeah. Based on the atmosphere. Like, if she's inhabiting yeah. a space, the way that she's behaving in the space, I think that we get a real clear understanding because she's not um, what one might say is psychologically problematic. Yeah, fair <laughs> Which enough. Which is Jared's yeah. character is psychologically problematic, I would say. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, for a movie that's essentially a two-hander, just Jared and... What's the actress's name? Uh, Tanya Lee. Tanya Lee. And then his um, his co-director is Vincent Pond. So yeah, he, he does have yeah. someone helping him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, two just really tightly focused performances. Um, uh, I think um, um, I maybe had a little bit of trouble sometimes with those scenes with the boyfriend um, outside the apartment. Um, sometimes those... Um, exchanges felt um just a little forced or something like that but i do think you know that was sort of necessary in kind of um moving the narrative forward Um, forced or jarring um perhaps just a little contrived um yeah 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 i I think Mm. that's kind of that character Mm. yeah as soon as you see that guy's shoes you know who that guy is yeah and i think that it very much suits the way that that type of a guy would behave if that makes sense but like to me that type of individual is always a contrived individual Mm. that believes in things that are inherently false so that they can preserve their self-image and have you know the sexual exchange with someone who 
isn't actually doing what they're saying they're doing you know like she's a I think that the really interesting layer to this is that she never tells her boyfriend that we know of that she's cam girling. Yeah. Yeah. And that he's the only one that knows. And then when he tells her how he feels about her, the way that that kind of splinters out from the way that she's behaving with her boyfriend. Mm. Yeah. And so it's like, you have to be uh, like her boyfriend perhaps to be with her. Mm. And in order um, to truly love her and treat her right, you can't be with her. Mm, yeah yeah which, which i do think is is uh true of, of many people so yeah. I, I think that it's kind of on the nose there yeah that makes sense um what else um i like some of the editing um you know there were a lot of crossfades that just kind of show him you know in one position in the room and then uh fades into him being elsewhere in the room it just kind of suggests how much time he spends in that apartment alone yes. um like the edits are kind of suggesting like this is all we have to show you because this is all he does yeah um so i think that isolation was um clearly conveyed yeah and, and, and i mean we we do get a sense of what he's doing with his day and how sad it is with the yeah. um him saying sorry can you wait a second we're shooting a movie here and then um you know it like instantly yeah. does a fade to him microwaving his dinner i think and mm, sitting down at, yeah. the, at the dinner table alone framed against uh the wall full of uh films yeah so you get yeah. the sense that he's like this this empty character alone in a inhabited world of inanimate stories you know? yeah yeah like you, all these stories have people besides him yeah yeah you kind of wonder if there's anything he does when when we don't see him on screen it's maybe just watching all those movies yeah <laughs> yeah or um perhaps editing his own work yeah yeah exactly because he that's like when she comes over that's what he shows her and yeah. i still don't know if some of those moments are real or not when she comes over yeah. to watch things or calls him which I, I, agree. I think is good for the the tone of the film yeah yeah i think um yeah i think certain that kind of ambiguity rewards a rewatch yeah. um for sure especially when the ending puts things in context yeah um, yeah and when um I think it's the sister of the mom. Like, the way that they phrase something, like, you need help, Mm. is basically what they're saying. But it kind of starts you down this road of, like, is what I'm visually seeing what I'm visually seeing or not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and those phone calls are usually very simple, but I do think they nicely leave it kind of open-ended as to whether or not he is, um, you know... uh, Oh, it's just tough to talk about without giving away that ending. Yeah. Um, but um, what they might be concerned about, I think, is nicely left open-ended. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Their concerns. Yeah. Definitely fit um, kind of what's in the zeitgeist at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's um, it's not too heavy-handed, I think, in leading you in any direction. No. These are subtle, short exchanges that pique your curiosity. Yeah. And I would actually say that some of those moments where we don't know if these phone conversations with the girl or these moments visually depicted with the girl are real, are very similar to um, those moments in Halloween 78 when she's looking Mm. out the window at Michael Myers. Mm. And sometimes we don't know if he's really there or if she just thinks he's there. Or Mm. when, um, I believe there's this scene where they're walking home and she thinks she sees him by a hedgerow. Yeah. And then her friend goes up to look and there's no one there. Yeah. Um, it's very much of that type of a, a atmospheric styling. Yeah, yeah, 
I agree. You know, whether or not um, it's reality or um, internal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, anything else that's coming to mind? Um, I, I, it's hard because we don't want to give it away. So I don't. I know I don't we usually so. are uh, heading pro headfirst into spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that would, I think, perhaps open the conversation a little bit. But um, think... with the limited viewings um, that people have had, you know, I I would yeah. like to leave it on the table for them to experience. Yeah. Totally. But, uh, when this episode comes out, you will have just over 24 hours to see if you can get to the screening in San Diego um, hmm. at the Fantastic Film Horror Fest. And I think that before they're on, there's going to be a series of short films starting at 9 or 10 a.m. at the same center, perhaps even the same screening um, or the same projection room, rather. Um, so make a day of it. Definitely look into that. And then um, they should hopefully have news on distribution or their new films before yeah sometime next year so awesome looking forward to seeing more from them shall we segue into our streaming title of the week <laughs> let's do it apostle from gareth evans is that why you put these in this order oh hey nice touch apostle. the promise of the divine is but an illusion god is pain god is suffering Beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Let us begin. Awesome. A Netflix original directed by Gareth Evans, mm-hmm. right? Who you've, uh, whose uh, previous film you saw, The Raid? Yes, yeah, I yeah. love uh, his other brutal works. Ah, so similarly violent? No. Apostle's like a like a Garfield compared to the Raid. Oh, really? This is toned down? Oh, yeah. Wow. I don't know that I want to see the Raid. The, the Raid <laughs> is like a skyscraper of murder. Whoa. Like, remember the cabin in the woods? Yeah. It's like that shootout without the monsters the whole hmm. time. Whoa. Yeah, the, the, the violence in Apostle's doled out kind of in... in fewer increments it's just yes. intense what I, I i will say that the apostle has some more brutal ways of killing yeah um because it's so limited in the scope of its kills there's really not that many kills that actually happen yeah. Yeah. which you kind of misled me with when we were texting uh, about whether i should watch it uh, at the gym uh, or not. yeah i didn't mean to <clears throat> suggest quantity but no. intensity it struck me I don't, um, I don't know that I found this to be that intense of a, no? of a gore film either not mm. until the very end when we get the um the pirouetting um skull drill oh yeah or uh, yeah. when dan stevens proceeds to lose part of his left hand is it the left yeah. hand or the right hand and a meat grinder because if it's the right hand that's what that is right that makes me think the peaky blinders song mm. the red right hand but mm. uh yeah it's a meat grinder it's pretty yeah. pretty great mm-hmm. um pretty gnarly i guess have you seen legion at all have you seen dan no. stevens best work i would say i have not oh okay. I, no i didn't realize that's what he was in no. yeah that's that's his kind of main thing and he's uh runs that show it's the guy that makes fargo runs that show i always want to oh. say ryan murphy but it's not ryan murphy it's not nick pizzolato shoot one of those big showrunners yeah 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 Re- really talented guy narratively um yeah. real fun i uh there's this mm. character in legion called farouk who's this um mm. uh, oh that's who you were referencing kind of a parasite like, i don't know who farouk is who's who's very much like um 
like perhaps the girl is in streamer in some mm. of those moments and like uh, mike myers might be in some of those moments of halloween 78 mm. um he's always in the background and you never know if he's like just in dan steven's mind mm. in legion or yeah. if he's really there um or if he's really there in a different way it's a very complex show and it's, it's very fun. interesting so yeah. i i kind of when i was watching apostle i was also imagining that this was inside of dan steven's head because legion is the uh. most powerful uh telekinetic or uh telepathic mutant in the x-men yeah. world got it so legion perhaps his best work you like him there oh, no it's his best work do you like him in apostle yeah i think that he that did a right? good um subdued job of what was asked for him yeah. i don't think that he's best suited for feature acting after um what i've seen with uh his uh kind of character work or rather body work in beauty and the beast mm. uh with yeah. emma watson i didn't particularly find it to be that good of a performance um mm. so i don't know that features is the right thing for him mm. um yeah. this wh whatever that thing is that makes like gosling great in features i don't think mm. would make gosling great for a series and I think that the opposite is true for Stevens, where maybe he's great mm. for series and not so good for um, features because his eyes can convey a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that a feature film has enough time to make those eyes have the weight that they need to have. Yeah. Like the scar tissue on the back didn't really work for me until we get to the uh, flashback. Yeah. yeah. And even then I, was, I wasn't that committed to caring. Yeah. Yeah, I kept just wanting a little more variation from him um i just felt like i kept kind of getting the same facial expression mm -hmm. just kind of that that angry concerned look which is an it was an okay look but i just kind of wanted just some a, a little bit wider of a range from him yeah. this is a pretty crazy experience he has and i just felt like it deserved perhaps just a wider range of gestures and behaviors and expressions um or outrage yeah yeah or just sheer terror yeah um because i don't know that he, he he really uh helped helped me enjoy it um so he was he was kind of a, a weak spot for me i don't um, think he got in the way of enjoyment mm, did he yeah. get in the way of your enjoyment a little bit okay yeah. interesting um and uh you know I, I really like some moments in this movie but i think kind of narratively to me it was maybe like a little bit of a perspective issue like as mm. the as the stage is set we're told that he's going to be going into this um uh he's going to be visiting this village that's inhabited by uh this pagan cult essentially trying to retrieve his kidnapped sister and yep. i fully expected to kind of be along with him for this entire story and then we do come to meet like a variety of characters who kind of have just different um, uh, roles in the narrative. Um, and I feel like it just got a little splintered. Like, we, we start to learn about um, a young couple with a baby on the way who want to escape the cult. There's kind of this power struggle between the men who run the village. Um, and then there's everything involving sort of the island itself and what it's able to produce yeah, as I we think, come to learn. I think the problem, weirdly, is that this film isn't long enough. Yeah, which is... Because yeah. I, I think that the way that you get to the, everything that you're saying that you took away from it, mm -hmm. the, the way that you show all those characters and don't take away from it is by mm -hmm. building a relationship with Dan Stevens' character and these mm -hmm. characters. Yeah. So that our main character is actually illustrating this thing because it yeah. is a fish-out-of-water story. Yeah. Um, 
and instead they throw the fish out of the water and then they proceed yeah. to show us what the air looks like instead yeah, we, of focusing on how the fish is reacting to it which yeah. i i think is what detracts from it i think its strongest moments are when it's um or its strongest moments when dan isn't allowing us the segue are when the girls are having their interactions i yeah. i was really yeah. uh magnetized by lucy boynton's performance yeah yeah she's really really talented i really was taken with her ability in this film yeah uh she was in uh sing street yes yeah i liked her there and i liked her quite a bit here i didn't remember um, her from sing street i honestly uh, yeah. didn't like sing street so i just kind of oh come on one of those guys did not care for sing street Another episode. there's not very many yeah. of us yeah yeah i agree that's a great point like we kind of he's he's our surrogate and and he goes missing in, yes. in moments key moments um that would have sort of tethered us to these other relationships but like so many key moments yeah like Important every every main key. <laughs> every main event in this film yeah. where he's not in the meat grinder he's missing mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of like our primary narrative and, and our primary like objective is get the sister back yeah and how all these other things kind of relate to that kind of gets lost yeah. Or a little I also question how they go about showing us the fact that there is a deity. Mm. Um, because they present it originally as if there's vampires, perhaps, outside of the homes. Mm. When she comes up to the hole in the floor after he pricks his finger. Yeah. She's kind mm. of tonguing at the blood through this hole in the floor. And you're like, is there vampires in this world? What's mm. going on? Yeah. I get what you're going for there. And it makes sense narratively. And I think yeah. that's my problem with this film is it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense as a narrative in a book, yeah. especially visually the way that it ends with an ash tree with him lying down in the grass beside mm-hmm. it and growing into the ground. Like this is yeah. a this is a classic thing that's been done in, in many, many books. It made me think about specifically uh, some Brandon Sanderson books. Um, but to do it visually... Um, and not be peter jackson you're just gonna mm. fuck up is the best way i can put mm. it like yeah. the, the way that they shot that ash tree coming in i already mm. knew that that's where the end, end of the scene was gonna be of the film and yeah. that really sucks mm. like when symbolism is great but when yeah. you're using some of the oldest symbolism yeah mythologically or, or narratively or whatever and you just telegraph it that way it really takes away from me caring about the story yeah yeah in, in the way that i'd like to yeah yeah i agree um as much as i kind of liked some of those early scenes where we maybe suspect that there is um this this woman or whatever it is you think she is sort of like haunting the village Mm -hmm. um you know i i did think there was some of sort of a thrill in those scenes but when you start to learn like who she actually is and what she means for the island it's hard to kind of reconcile that back with how she was portrayed to begin with right um you're like like, how about that end moment when like he just walks up to this crooned figure who's like wearing a cloak oh yeah yeah that did not work that detracted a lot and i don't even know how to explain why but the fact that he just walked up and put his hand on something that's Mm. supposedly that powerful yeah it's tough like what is the genre of this film there's another thing because it's not a thriller and it's not a horror folk horror something like that yeah period horror i um, guess but then you're putting it in the company of the witch and i don't feel good about that i agree the witch came to mind and every time that 
came to mind, I was like, I don't even want to make that comparison because that yeah. doesn't even feel Yeah, but it's fair. like, it is true yeah. genre-wise, but it's not yeah. true filmmaking ability-wise. Mm. I don't yeah. know. I, this might be just the problem with attempting to make a period piece for streaming platforms. Mm. I Maybe you can't do it. I, I think about um, Amazon's attempt to make that period show um, with Christina Ricci, I want to say. Um, oh, I know which one you're Z, talking about. Zelda, yeah. uh, like the beginning of everything, perhaps. Yep. Uh, and it just, I don't think it works when you don't have a strong tone mm. um, for for a streaming format. I think that if you're making a historical piece without a really, really strong tone, it won't work. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's why Spike Lee's show on um, Netflix works. She's got to have it. Yeah. Because of yeah. the super... Mm strong tone that he built in the feature film and i think that uh prime's uh marvelous mrs Maisel works because yeah. the tone is so strong and so funny and yeah. the characters are so rich that they feel so real that wherever they are has to be real yeah instead of working from the outside in and i think that this is yeah. an outside in case mm-hmm. where i didn't really buy the outside once he gets off the ship so mm-hmm. i couldn't buy into these characters yeah. i was interested yeah. in them but they, they felt very much like someone had taken Psych 101 and screenwriting, mm. yeah. not like they were fully fleshed out characters. Yeah, yeah. To really sort of um, get involved with the the men who were sort of leading the village, um, I, I just would have needed a uh, better sort of connection between Dan Stevens's character and them. I just felt like these were all sort of like separately existing plot right. threads and, and he um, he technically did that yeah it's just be, it's because just of, of him distant. saving the assassination yeah so like that that's why i say this works as a book like i understand where it's a book and i understand where i would say go rewrite this you need to work mm. on this um part of because the there there's too many moments in between this act of bravery that is mm. a, a false act of bravery and this moment of of terror where he's all of a sudden being held by the person that he saved like you need you need to establish a deeper relationship with the person past this he can't just come in slice his hand and say we're brothers now and that have that be the last moment you guys spend together and for that to be the emotional weight an hour later yeah it doesn't stack up um yeah you know there's something to emotional math and that's what's really deeply missing in the screenplay yeah or it's on the editing bay floor perhaps what do you think yeah well, I don't know. Even right from the get-go, we are told, you know, essentially that he's received a letter and he needs to go rescue his sister because his dad is essentially in a stupor or something, it looks like. Um, but I never really felt any sort of um, sibling connection, right? Like, I never really believed that Dan Stevens' character was exasperated by the the threat his sister was on right like good point that's just silly you told me that but i did not feel it um how about the end when the sister literally tells him i thought you were dead yeah i yeah um, like they're telling the whole time satisfying (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like i'm saying all this bad stuff there were moments i really liked um to be fair like i think they're all kind of narrative issues i think the direction was pretty sharp or Mm -hmm. i enjoyed it um i agree beautiful lenses again yeah um startling landscapes occasionally yeah totally um i think about the flashback to him um 
you know, on his mission in Japan. Ooh, um, great um, undershot yeah. spin to overshot against right? the, the burning countryside and the cross. Yeah, yeah. The camera starts out upside down, which kind of leads me to think that, like, maybe I'm going to get a little distance from this act by having, by getting to watch it from upside down. But nope, you're going to watch it straight on mm-hmm. as it happens. I thought that a, was A slow effective. zoom in yeah. over two. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then when the young kid gets the screw to the dome, mm-hmm. um, it kind of starts out level and it slowly kind of turns like almost yeah, the camera doesn't even want to watch yeah. or something. Um, like, I think these are great moments. Um, I would love to see him just have a better script. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. great when he's got a better script. One yeah. thing that I really liked visually was uh, when Dan Stevens and everyone comes in from the ship and they're emerging mm. up from the docks. There mm. is a, um, you don't know this yet, but there is a ship on the other side that is kind of shipwrecked. And its mm. masts are sticking in the air like crosses. Mm. But when you're ascending up this hill, it just looks like there's crosses. And you're like, oh, what yeah. the fuck? And then he turns over the hill and it's like the the ship is stuck there. Uh, uh, yeah. Which I thought was really good visual storytelling of like yeah. the, re- the religion is stuck here. Yeah. Kind of. Um, yeah so i think visually it communicated everything well it's whenever they opened their mouths and it wasn't the uh female characters talking Mm. that it really sucked yeah yeah kind of the connective tissue between all these moments yeah didn't didn't kind of bring it together i will say the boy was all right i agree he worked for me yeah um i believed him as he died I did too. I I believe that he loved that girl, and I believe that girl loved him. Yeah, I think that was maybe uh, the strongest uh, emotions that this movie had. Yeah, I can say that. Like one thing I just felt like I had never seen before was when he's getting screwed or you know uh, tied down to the table, and the camera is kind tied of like down or squished down. Squished down is the right <laughs> word, and his head's getting squished. Viced, yeah. And the camera's kind of, you know, it's his point of view. So you see his head kind of getting jerked upright. Mm-hmm. And then it's like yeah. the camera's behind, like, the surface of his eye because that blood kind of spilled Brilled over the out. lens. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I was like, it, this is too much. Very good visual <laughs> grotesque filmmaking. And I will yeah. say, I think the art direction was pretty smart when it involved the deity. Yeah, totally. Um, those moments of, of naturalism... Um, mm-hmm magic were really really well mm. done and i hope that you know that's maybe in bright too ah i uh, hope maybe this was a testing ground for their visual effects artists for some bright two ideas because um the first bright really needed stronger mm. art direction i'll say those studio uh shots that they did were piss poor to put it lightly yeah so yeah um i like the music quite a bit as well you know me liking the score um i feel like i remember some swells but yeah how, how was it oh man i remember in the scene where he's walking back to his house at night after he's looked through a window and learned that every night people are leaving like a blood sacrifice in a little jar outside their doors yes he goes back he sees that everyone's done that outside their door and he's walking back to his taking the blood from somebody else's jar and putting it in yeah. his jar and that's when you see the woman in the distance yeah. at the end of the hallway really sort of minimalistic score there where it's just like one string getting plucked 
it's like a cowbell or something and then some sticks bidding you know getting hit together like a wood clob or clab isn't that what that's called um just really simple instrumentation that's kind of percussive Mm -hmm. um that i thought was uh quite dread inducing for that particular moment okay um and it feels very period appropriate right like these really simple instruments evoking um not just the mood but the period yes so one thing you just said that leads me to think that maybe you understood this movie a whole lot better than i did Mm. very quickly is you just said that uh he looks through the window and sees them leaving blood sacrifice did did Uh, you know that that was a blood sacrifice when you looked in the window with him or were you like why the fuck is this guy cutting his wife (laughs) no when i saw that i had no idea what they were doing because i was like, like why is he cutting his wife why no. are you standing there while he cuts his wife? You're like, help her! <laughs> Only until the next scene where I'm like, okay, this is clearly a thing that they yeah, do. I didn't even know it was blood in the jars until, like, oh. he'd, uh... I, I think until he'd pricked his finger. Ah, uh, gotcha. Because then I was like, oh... Because <laughs> the color thing... Dude, I was like, is this urine in the jars? Is he pouring urine from one jar into another to, like... They don't have toilets? Yeah, like, I didn't understand. I Because they don't have toilets. That would be confusing true so i I, narrative clarity (laughs) problem um so yeah i thought that i thought the score was pretty good to me it was sort of like a johnny greenwood light kind of score it's kind of of how i was thinking about it yeah Um, i'd I'd equate johnny greenwood with swells and that's what i remember mm. from this movie is a lot of swells yeah yeah i don't remember so much the eerie stuff um but i feel like it had to have been eerie for some of these scenes to stick the way they did like mm-hmm. when he uh, ducks through the bushes at the end mm-hmm. after um, the father of the boy has been shot by the bag, uh, the the guy that has like this, uh, I guess, rucksack on his head the yeah. entire film. And he's kind of creeping around in the bushes within the, the barn. It was very eerie. And I imagine that that was yeah. very much the score. I just don't remember yeah. it the way that I want to. Yeah. Yeah. It was just enmeshed in there. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is kind of the best. When when a score elevates a film, for me, I don't quite remember it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that happens for me sometimes. Um, but when it does suddenly stand out, um, and I and I like what I'm hearing, you know, it's it's particularly rewarding. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have uh, a lot else. I think, yeah. I think I'm good on it. It's yeah. a Netflix streaming title. You can watch it anywhere. Yeah. Probably you should watch it on the, what, 31st, 30th? When's Halloween? 31st? Yeah. 31st. Yeah. Why not? Why not? It's spooky. Kind of. It's gory. It's gory. Mm-hmm. Can agree. And it's free. Do gory thumbs up. What thumbs? Yep. Mine got ripped <laughs> off in the, in the meat tray. Uh, well, shall we navigate on to Night of the Living Dead from George A. Romero? Let's do it. Night of the Living Dead. More shattering than your strangest nightmare. You love this picture. I very much enjoyed this movie. You a little less so. Yeah. As always, listeners are tired of it. Performances, Mm. performances, performances. Uh, these performances work in some of the classics and they don't work mm. for me in other classics and this is one of the classics where uh, an oversaturated landscape of overacting mm-hmm. does not elevate the film yeah me. that's fair I uh, 
would not begrudge anybody for having trouble getting over these performances. Um, but uh, for me, it remained um, quite eerie and creepy and spooky 50 years you later. You laugh? No, not really. Oh like, laugh God. at the performances or what? I, I don't know. The whole thing was just so funny. Like it um, just starts out hilarious. This guy's like getting out of the car. He's like, I want candy. Why do we have to drive two hours? Oh, he's coming to get you. Yeah. And, and then like he proceeds to die in the most hilarious way possible. That is great. Like I, I love that the, the biggest prick is killed off immediately. That is a trope, right? Like the character you want to die dies and everyone's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, it's kind of comical. His line, uh, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Barbara. It's funny. Uh, but I definitely never felt myself like laughing at the movie. Um, what, so when she's running away, you didn't laugh? No. That's oh not what I was God. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we experienced this it. movie entirely differently. Whenever yeah. she's on the screen, I mm. was holding back laughter and like exasperation mm. at just how yeah. brutally bullshit her ability mm. to act is yeah not to be mm. mean or cruel but like come on that was overacting like, yeah 100 yeah um it's weird i i would not um like offer i would not heap great praise on these performances but they they somehow sort of um elicit my affection nonetheless because of how they just sort of fit in with this whole kind of DIY aesthetic. Um, I don't think the zombies look like what I now think of as a zombie. They look like people, right? Yes. And that's exactly what, to me, that's... They look like people with some dirt on their teeth. Yeah. Um, And they, you know, they even say that in the newsreel, right? Like, these look like people, but they will eat you. We have confirmation that they will eat you. Because Um, of the Venus radiation yeah um it's all so simple um and 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 pared down um that i i just think it still remains so sort of um weird i don't think i would tell anyone to watch this because it's a terrifying movie at all i don't know that that's really the best like barometer of whether or not uh, a horror movie is still good because horror movies today just have the benefit of all the horror movies that ever came before them you know and and the benefit of having learned from them what's scary and what's not but for me the atmosphere kind of remains kind of thick yeah um what's interesting this week is i don't know that i'd say any of our movies are scary i would agree and i thought that they were gonna be there's nothing as scary as you know tony collette setting gabriel burton on fire no. <laughs> no, there's not. It's not exactly that kind of a horror week. <laughs> no, no. I yeah. I I don't know what it is. I guess I had this idea that horror in my head was scarier than it is. Mm. Or we chose really not scary titles. Yeah. Um on accident. <laughs> yeah. And I I do I do value movies that can that can uh, elicit deep fear in me. But to me, there is just something about this that that's just so strange and, and pared down that um, that I have fun with. Um, yeah, I watch those people meandering about 
you know, eating like the raw chicken and <laughs> that kind of thing. To or, me, it's or still just like moving the intestines um, near their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, to me, it, it, it is still striking imagery nonetheless. Um, and, you know, whether or not like the, uh, whether or not you think it still has like any political rele- resonance now, I think is, is, you know, debatable. Um, but I think it's still uh, striking for its sort of um, for what it accomplishes on kind of its shoestring budget. Okay, political resonance and light day. Well, I just think of it like historically, like when it came out, right? It, you know, everyone was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like it's a metaphor for for Vietnam, or like it's you know it's packed with with racial tension or um, that kind of thing. Um, so I think you can either kind of watch this movie and sort of try to imagine what it would be like to have watched this in 1968 and and kind of measure it in that way, or you just watch it now, take it at face value, and or think about if it has any for any sort of metaphorical um, value to you. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't get there. Yeah, I didn't really treat the film seriously though. Yeah. That's fair. Um, I will say that I thought the camera work was great. Yeah, me too. It's the problem was the people in the that were in the way of the camera. That's a problem. That way, and then I I would say <laughs> the main actor um, who is you know the last person we see at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he worked for me. He was he was a really yeah. good performer. I thought. Yeah. But everyone else kind of didn't. Um, mm. And the way that they were presenting the women in hysterics, mm. like I just, I I don't have a high tolerance or threshold for that. Or well, I would argue with that. I would say the blonde is in hysterics. Agreed, and she kind of just becomes. Okay, what about Karen's mom? She becomes hysterical, but I also think she she kind of rolls her eyes at her husband in certain ways. That, that I that yeah, I found she, she was fun satisfying. when she was interacting in that smart ass way. Yeah, but yeah. once she got into I don't, anytime it devolves into hysterics mm. in that way, I just get really exhausted mm. and kind of want to just mm. shut my eyes and my brain down. Yeah. Um. So I I won't take that away from you. Like there there are moments yeah. where each actor is fine. Yeah. But well. Each actor besides Barbara. Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, other than yeah. our main actor, I think that the next best is probably Karen. <laughs> Who just lays there for most of the movie. <laughs> Until she's stabbing <laughs> her mom in the face with a spade. Yeah, I mean, she gets hysterical once her daughter is trying to murder her. <laughs> is, that would is, be hysterical. Is that where the term call a spade a spade is from? <laughs> Could be. Call <laughs> um, a zombie a zombie. Yeah. Uh, I like kind of the, 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 the establishing... Um, sequences in the cemetery beforehand where you just see that one zombie kind of meandering back and forth they think it's just a regular guy um to me that's uh that's a standard now right that you even get in halloween of the villain lurking in the background um yeah it's fine yeah doesn't do much for you it's fine i i had i had a lot of affection for it it's like it's fine (laughs) yeah um i agree i I like this might be your hold the the dark yeah exactly um i kind of like the score i think i it's uh it's all like public domain music 
I think, mm -hmm. which is, you know, to me, another good example of how it's not what you have, it's how you use it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was um, put together quite nicely. Um, and uh, I think it's pretty bleak. Um, it's so, it, to me, it's sort of ironic to watch it now and think to yourself, it doesn't look that hard to beat these zombies. And yet they all they they still manage to fail, and it's partly because um, they can't work together. Um, yeah, I mean, there's what 14, 18, 2000 seasons of The Walking Dead based on this premise. Yeah, you know, like for me, it's an oversaturated genre because I read The Walking Dead. I've, yeah, I watched you know just season one of The Walking Dead because I didn't need more after that. Yeah, which by all accounts was a good decision. So yeah, um, I. I I'm glad that it exists and that we get what we get from art out of it. Mm. But at what cost? 2,000 seasons mm. of The Walking Dead might be too high a cost to pay. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, some people, you know, respect a movie for having established tropes. And in this case, you're maybe like, I don't like these tropes. Uh, no, I, I don't like the performances so strongly that I'm just over exaggerating mm. my complaints yeah i was just so yeah. exhausted with these performances like the overacting mm. took the wind out of me yeah yeah um on the other hand like if the if the performances were really great it's like everything else would need to be better to kind of keep it in sync right like wouldn't it be kind of weird if the performances were really good and realistic but then the zombies were are you know were what they are well to me the mm -hmm. zombies are also performers and that's part okay. of my complaint yeah so it's with it's the all that. performing yeah that's fair yeah. Uh, and i i mean if you take the performers out i think the the, the direction was great i think the lighting was very good mm -hmm. i think the score was very good so i i think that the performers for me is the weakest part yeah which is also the thing i'm that. the most critical on so mm. take it with a grain of salt it's still a that's classic fair. I still give it yeah. a positive review, not a neutral one. Yeah. Um, but that's mainly just set design, uh, attention to atmosphere, and direction, and framing. Yeah, I would say the exact same thing, but that's why I give it a four. <laughs> <laughs> Which means performances just yeah. work more against just me. Just kind of what you, you. we kind of look for, what we value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot else to say. I know it's brief. Um but if there uh, is you're the one that has something to say about it <laughs> yeah um i don't know to, to me i it, to me get out kept coming to mind as i was watching this um i had never thought about the word zombie when i was watching get out and the idea of what is done to the um uh victims for last, lack of a better word in get out um who you know suffer what this family puts them through um to me they they essentially turn into a kind of zombie despite looking just like everyday people mm -hmm. um i think there's sort of this through line between these two movies and um i think if this movie has any lasting significance you know it's partly because of how um impactful it was at the moment for what people saw as sort of its um subtext and, and that having to do with racial relations which to me is just good evidence for believing get out could similarly have a, a lasting impact um in the case of get out race sort of becomes like the text not the subtext in a mm -hmm. way um but uh 
I just think there's maybe sort of an interesting uh, comparison to make. Yeah, I think maybe zombification mm. becomes the subtext of Get Out. Yeah, I agree. Where, whereas zombification is maybe the text of uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So yeah. they kind of swoop swap. There's still something there. And mm. I, I think that without Get Out, we, we don't get Sorry to Bother You. Uh, yeah. Sorry to Bother You was completely written and independently, simultaneously to Get Out. Just production uh, deliberations yeah. held it up um, in his, his work refining it. But like, we simply don't get that without Get Out, which I think is good. Yeah. Even though I didn't like the film, I, I like that, you didn't like it, out. that it was made. Oh, no, Let It Live and Dead. Yeah. yeah no, you. Sorry to Bother You. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Even though like I didn't respond well to it, I'm glad that it got mm. made and I like that director's work. Like It was yeah. good work. It just wasn't my type of film for whatever yeah. reason. So I, I think that we are already seeing exactly what you're saying. Mm. And I think I would say the same thing about Romero's influence in the horror genre. I don't yeah. know that necessarily the the films become the the some of the films that we would say are are were made because of his, of Romero's success mm. were influenced by him so much as independently written and created and then only had a fiscal opportunity to actually be created mm. because of Romero's success that he found within yeah, the zeitgeist sure. of America. Yeah, proved so, it could work. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I don't necessarily want to say that, like there's a philosophical continuation as much as mm. there's proof of concept that this is fiscally mm. responsible to do for investors. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and an, an economic um, proof continuation. of concept. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Um, but yeah, tough to argue. We just looked at different things. Yeah. You yeah. loved it. I liked it. Yeah, it's worth seeing. Also, Easy a great enough. Halloween choice. Yeah. I, I thought Karen was spooky. I, uh, yes, Karen <laughs> is fantastic. Once again, we have a young girl who becomes dead, affecting the outcome of a film. Um, yes. First First Man, now Night of the Living Dead. What's next? Yep. Bohemian Rhapsody? I doubt it. Keep your eye out for Karen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I would also recommend that they watch House on the Haunted Hill. I believe ah, it's uh, the, cl- the 1920s original? classic. Nice, okay. Um, for Halloween, just while we're throwing out these Halloween suggestions. Yeah. yeah. And uh, while we're using the word Halloween, how about we segue to 1978's Halloween? Oh, I like what you did there. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. All right. Uh, the original? The original. Halloween. Directed by John Carpenter. Composed. Partially by John Carpenter. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Yep. Do you like this movie? I did. Nice. I responded mm. well to it because the crowd kind of cued me in on what I didn't know. I've mm. never seen this film before. At ah, least not in yeah. its entirety. I may have seen moments. I've yeah. certainly seen excerpts on, um, you know, uh, either in music videos that are homaging it or, or in films mm. that are homaging it or... Um, on television shows that are showing reference to it yeah but i've generally always been a huge coward ah. and just avoided horror films you're like no thanks nope uh no <laughs> how about a stand-up comedy special how about, uh, <laughs> nope uh do yeah. you have any cartoons can i get some yeah. fox and the hound on that please <laughs> yeah so that's a that's maybe a great question did it scare you it was eerie. It never scared me, but it did yeah. make me atmospherically tense. Nice. Yeah. How about Good you? Way to put it. 
not to the extent that I had hoped. Um, yes. I was a, I was slightly underwhelmed. I I really went in thinking I was going to love it. Um, I could maybe just start by saying, in sort of like, if I were to rank sort of canonical horror villains in 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 order of like who's most likely to haunt my dreams, mm-hmm. Michael Myers might not be towards the top of my list. Perhaps um, the person that would haunt your dreams might be the dream haunter, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger would absolutely be up there. Um, and then when you Karen wake up, might maybe even Chucky be, would be in your face. Chucky would be up there. Karen might even be higher than Michael Myers. Yeah. Uh, Karen is very spooky. Michael Myers is just a little clunky or clumsy for my taste. Um, uh, I I kind of find his presence to be in this movie to be just a little lacking for me. Um, so just so you know how it can, was to watch with an audience in a theater. Yeah, please. I watched this alone. sold out audience. Yeah. It's kind of like watching Room. Yeah. Meaning they kind of... I, I don't remember if we ever went more than five minutes without complete and total hysteria laughter. That's fascinating. But it was just yeah. constant laughter. Yeah. Um, and anytime Mike Myers is on the screen or anytime someone's about to die, it's just yeah. laughter. Yeah. So that cued me in that this wasn't... Like, growing up, because it, it has nostalgic factors and respect as a horror title... I'd yep. assumed it was scary. Yeah. But it's more of a a cultural icon. Yeah. That people see a good time in. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it's like um it's kind of like friends. As weird mm. of a comparison as that is, you know? No, it's I like, totally see what you're saying. It, you you get something out of the interactions of these characters. And yeah. to them it, it to the audience that I was with it was a sitcom. Yeah. And it was just laughter. Through just a through. deep kind of familiarity or something yeah with as it. soon as as soon as they pull up and the the gate is open and the guy gets out of the mm. car everyone starts shouting you fucking idiot and yeah. then all these people start laughing yeah. and i think that people were like throwing like these little tiny like marshmallow pumpkin candies like at the screen oh, like wow. it was just it was rowdy goofy. bunch it was just a, a yeah. goofy experience and i was like oh this is not the thing that i thought it was mm. So I think I got to watch the whole thing being cued in to the correct theme. And if I wouldn't have been, mm-hmm. and I would have been at home on my couch watching it, yeah. I think I would have given it a lot closer to your score. Yeah. Maybe a lot yeah. lower, honestly. Yeah, so do, do you think that laughter stems from people like enjoying it in a way that was not intended? Yes, like, it, it, like, 100%. It, this is becoming a more Absolutely. like a camp kind of yeah. entertainment So when form? she looks out the window and sees Mike Myers... Yeah tons of laughter yeah yeah right like even i was like oh shit but everyone around me was laughing yeah so i was like okay i'm (laughs) i'm i'm the one that doesn't know this cultural context Mm. yeah yeah that's interesting i mean i i have not had that experience with many movies where i really with many old movies where i've really felt compelled to laugh like i usually just sort of um, I kind of shift gears, like, for the period, I feel like. Um, th- there are exceptions. Like, I do laugh when I watch The Room. Um, it's amusing. Um, but uh, it's just interesting. You know, it's a different kind of viewing when you start to, to kind of view it through the through the camp lens versus um, kind of trying to give yourself over to it a little bit. Uh, it sounds like people, you know, sort of deliberately distance themselves and are not really thinking about whether or not this is atmospheric. Yeah, it's not way, just right? like a person. It was yeah. like everyone. Yeah. And yeah. in what is their largest screening room? Like it was packed. Yeah. 
yeah. I couldn't believe how many like I felt awesome. like I was you, you know when you like <laughs> miss a week in school and you come back and something's like just totally different yeah it was like that where I was like what don't I know yeah I didn't get briefed on this yeah uh, teacher I need the homework that I missed. yeah catch me up <laughs> yeah yeah um I, yeah I, I could see how it would play very differently in that atmosphere yeah that in that crowd um versus versus at home I was yeah like, I was without being cued in I, I would have been culturally blind and tonally deaf and i wouldn't have liked the movie i think so yeah so you like it more as you view it through that kind yeah of yeah lens. because i started um, laughing yeah I, this is my first time seeing it and once i knew it was okay to laugh mm. it was like oh mm. now i get it like it unlocked oh. the movie for me so maybe so maybe night of the living dead with an audience perhaps could have worked yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely with yeah. those performances that's the only way if, yeah. if there's a whole group of people that can cue me in like i need a laugh track for that movie is how i'll put that yeah and yeah. uh the living laugh track for halloween when she gets uh thrown out of the car and mike myers gets in it and starts mm. like as soon as i got cued in that like that was funny and i started laughing simultaneously with them i was like this yeah. is gonna be a good ride yeah yeah um yeah i mean i get that like you know styles change tech advances and things can become scarier and more attuned to what we find scary now and thus you know it it, it only f- you feel just that instinct to laugh sometimes mm-hmm. um but um yeah I, I i still just couldn't help maybe you know just being at home wanting um to to f- to, f- to feel something eerier than what it was um so that was maybe just a little underwhelming for me. Um, but, you know, it sounds like it, it, uh, there are many, many people who find um, uh, clear themes kind of running through it that they get a lot out mm-hmm. of. Um, I didn't really get those, but... Uh, did, did you have a chance to listen to the conversation that Josh Larson and Adam Kempner had? Afterwards, yeah. 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 Um, what, what do you think about some of the points that Josh brings up about Jamie Lee Curtis? Um, so before this is a franchise... Um, you, you know, it is just a singular screenplay, and a singular screenplay is a lot more honest of a singular work that I think you can interpret separately from the continuation. Yeah. Do you think that some of his points about whether or not she's hallucinating the this boogeyman character um, mm. did have any merit, and did kind of enrich your retrospective thinking on the film? It's kind of hard. It might kind of inform a second viewing. I kind of have trouble um, retroactively thinking about it that way. To me, it always felt very literal um, that he that he is in fact there, terrorizing them. I I, I never found mm-hmm. any. I never found the filmmaking leading to me believe, leading me to believe it was in her head. I, I felt very. I, I felt like it was very literal, except for in some of the moments with her by herself, or when mm. she's in a group seeing this thing. Mm. That, that you know just might not be there then yeah not that yeah. he's not real and not really there yeah but maybe she's so scared and these ideas mm. are so powerful that she's seeing them when they're not there mm. you know just because a serial killer is real doesn't mean that you listening to a bunch of true crime podcasts and then going and taking a shower in the dark means that that shadow is a serial killer yeah is yeah. kind of the way that i'd put it your mind starts to maybe be playing tricks on you yeah that's fair yeah okay i could kind of see that yeah that, that, and that so I, I thought that josh larson's conversation about how her mind might be playing tricks on her really mm. did play into what if we are to argue there are deep strengths to this film mm. that's where yeah. i would find it 
Um, and I don't know that, that any of that's true, but I, yeah. I did interpret that that could be true. Yeah, I mean, now that we're kind of talking about it out loud, I mean, I guess I'm kind of thinking back to specifics where she looks, he's there, she looks again, he's not there. Those might be just quick enough that you you could read it as her, you know, having, um, you know, just her eyes were playing tricks on her somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I could kind of see that. Um, uh, You know, he was also kind of talking about the the theme of um, a fear of sex kind of running yes. through this or something like that um the which bad it, girl good girl yeah yeah it certainly didn't really cross my mind when i was watching it i would Me not either i would not profess to have thought about that at all didn't super interesting um so you know maybe which is funny because he watched it a second time he didn't like it the first time right mm-hmm. and he came back and liked it um so maybe on second go around when these are kind of in my head i might sort of see the the, the filmmaking suggesting these but I kind of have a hard time reconciling that theme with what the exposition tells us about Michael. Um, you know, the the doctor talks about him, you know, on one hand, maybe being um, just a deranged killer or just evil incarnate. Like, he might just be the essence of evil, which to me sounds like a very sort of broad discriminant kind of force and that worked for me a lot and was kind of overpowering to my image of michael myers yeah and i would say is the reason why i absolutely hated the imagery the imagery Ah, no 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 uh not the imagery the idea that mike myers Mm. could be evil incarnate yeah that was such a powerful idea that, that i really grappled onto with the first interpretation yeah i really liked that and i thought that was very fitting yeah. And the way that 2018 mm. depicts Michael. Ah, uh, yeah. And how we get that ending is why I would feel comfortable saying I hated the movie. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, to me, there's sort of a specificity about that theme, This th- that he is sort of the punisher of promiscuity that I have trouble reconciling with how broadly his villainy is characterized. Um that make sense absolutely uh, yeah. yeah he's just uh he's going around and murdering people for no reason at all yeah and yeah. then we're making this claim that it's all so that he like it's a it's a decent claim the claim is that he's killing anything in his way and anything that he can until he gets to his end goal yeah you know this is a classic thing for you know historical dictators or, or evil characters of, of works of fiction or true historical characters you know you kill anything yep. in your way and you're always on a path on a goal to a path um yeah. of of some sort of continuation um or closure and yeah. the the idea that his purpose is to kill the girl scout jamie lee curtis yeah is a fine idea and that he's killing everything in between but um i guess that's the problem it's a fine idea it doesn't hold up for me I agree. Um, on further reflection of the presentation of the tone of in of the film, or yeah. the voice of the film, yeah, rather, yeah, I agree. Um, oh, I kind of forgot what my next thought was. Um, got anything else off the top of your head? It'll come back to me. Oh yeah, the um, so I I wanted to focus on the beginning of the film. Ah, okay. The Hitchcockian, De Palmian mm. yeah. exposition of the film. Yeah. Uh, first scene, basically. What do yeah. you think about that? The POV shot? Yes. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was drooling. 
Okay, good. It was, amazing. <laughs> it was, I was so almost good. hesitant. Your tone maybe suggested you weren't into it, and I was no. like, I liked it. <laughs> no, I liked it a lot. <laughs> okay, good. You, you know me and my my POVs. I, I liked yeah. it quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a, quite oh a bit. yeah. One to me, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. Um, I think it's probably the best scene in the movie. Yeah, I almost could have um, gone for some more POV throughout the movie. Um, 100% agree. The problem yeah. is that Mike Myers, um, I think that if he was a POV character in the film, mm. that wouldn't work. I agree. In, I kind of want it, but I think film, you're right. Yeah. Like, I think that there needs to be a film called like Myers or Mike Myers or something mm. where it's just him murdering people. Yeah. Because I don't know that you could have a narrative story told POV the entire time. I think that yeah. the introduction was the right thing to do, though. We do kind of hew towards Jamie Lee Curtis's perspective. That would be sort of a departure. Yeah. Even if you kind of want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, or, like, I guess you could do it when he's chasing her, specifically. Yeah. So, like, we yeah. would see POV of her. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I'm, sometimes I'm just not sure what to make of, like, his psyche and, like, his intelligence. Like... It's what sort of this, psyche? What intelligence? Well, right. right? Like, I know that he's sounds like a silly incarnate. question, right? But it's like, just to what extent he's sort of like conscious or intelligent or forward thinking at all. There's some, I, this sounds so silly, but just being able to reconcile him as sort of just this pure physical force driven to kill who also can drive a car and put a bed sheet over him. I don't know why. Like, I just have trouble sort of putting these together. Well, he doesn't put a bed sheet in the first movie, right? Yeah. He puts it over himself in this in the first one. Does he? With the glasses. It's just before right. he kills the girl right, in right, bed. Right. Which, That's right. It, to me, it, like, it kind of implies, like, forethought. Is that the gravestone kill? Just before that, exactly. Yeah, okay. after he does that, he puts the yeah, gravestone yeah. out. So it is the gravestone kill. Yeah. Yeah. It implies forward thinking, and he's scarier to me. He seems very to improvisational me. to me. Yeah, but I have a hard time just picturing him, like, getting in the car, turning on the keys. You know, it, it he's scarier to me as just an unthinking force driven to kill. Yes. Rather than one who toys with people, I guess. Yes. Um, Once again, film spotting brought up It Follows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I think is very much influenced by this film and very totally. much better than this film. Totally. Even I though I liked this first one quite a bit, I think It Follows is really something special. I agree. And yeah. and uh, the GoPro camera shots when she's in the wheelchair in, an, in It Follows, yeah. I, I kind of am leaning towards maybe a purposeful homage correlation to the opening of Halloween. Mm, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, makes me want to rewatch that. Especially with Halloween in my mind still. Um, I think those same themes resonate more clearly and it follows about um, uh, a fear of sex or, or anxiety about it. Um, yes. I think. Yeah, because it's literally it's, a sexually transmitted demon. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> it's much easier to attach that theme to, to, the, to what actually transpires. STD mm. just got a whole new demon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scary shit. Um, yeah do you want to you want to segue to the next one i well let's I, at least address um you're very um good with sounds and with mm. um framing and, and direction mm. yeah 
you yeah. have not addressed George Romero or not uh, George Romero, John Carpenter's direction or music yet. Yeah. Do you have yeah. anything you would say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I did. Um, I did sort of enjoy some of those long tracking shots that we get. Kind of, I think they're especially early on as Jamie Lee Curtis is sort of walking throughout the neighborhood and he's starting to stalk her. Um, but uh, they almost just weren't quite as impactful as I thought they might be um when i think about tracking shots in like film criticism i feel like it's the kind of technique that's only ever praised rather than criticized i don't know that those were actually critical to um building tension in this um but um i don't know to me it's not to me it's sort of like a question mark i I kind of enjoyed them but i don't know that i would heap the praise on them in what they do for the film like tracking shots do in certain other films um and uh I like the framing where he's, you know, quite often that lurking figure in certain scenes. Um, but it's also just his image that I, that just doesn't really captivate me. Mm. That, that kind of hurts. Okay. Um, regardless so of how it's framed. It worked for me. Okay. Um, the, I, I would classify it as depth of frame manipulation yeah. where we are kind of present with the character in the foreground. Yeah. And in the background, it's blurry mm-hmm. and there's no one there. Yeah. And that's almost more perturbing than if he were mm. there. Because then you'd know where he Where was. is he? Yeah. So I'm scanning the whole, just the whole time, looking, where is he? Where is he? Every yeah. scene, I'm, where is he? Where yeah. is he? Keeps, and it keeps that, you that looking. style of depth of framework for a, a villainous character mm. kept me really entertained as an audience member. Yeah. I was always like, where is he? Because I, I wanted to know yeah. when we were going to laugh, mm. kind of. Instead yeah. of like trying to be scared, I was like, Where's the object of laughter? Yeah, keeps you involved. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, gives you something, gives you a way to participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then I know that we're going to talk about the new stylings of the theme of Halloween in 2018 based mm. on your review for that one. But what do you think about oh, yeah. the original theme of uh, 78? I, I love the piano riff, the iconic Halloween piano riff. Um, I just, I as we'll talk about i kind of prefer the the variation on it that we get in the 2018 version mm-hmm. um i thought um the repetitiousness of it here this sounds like sacrilegious to say about this iconic score but i just i just found it having um diminishing returns like i kept wanting it to to just surprise me um if it, that's kind of one downside to having a really great riff is you can't can't overuse it you, you kind of have to dole it out at the right mm-hmm. times maybe it's just lingering that way in my head if i go back and actually kind of pay attention to how often it's played maybe i'd take that back but i remember thinking to myself like you got to be a little more sparing with it somehow so i i disagree in a way that i think that you're totally valid yeah but the reason why i disagree is because i think that he was using it in spots where he didn't need to use it Mm -hmm. but that's what fucked with my head ah because i was like the theme's playing but mike's not here like, why is that why playing? Is the theme play? It's like when yeah. the enemy music comes on when mm. you're playing a video game and you don't know where the enemy is. Mm. Like, why the fuck is this music playing? That's interesting. It, it was like that where I was like, why, where, what's going mm. on? Yeah. Um, and then the theme music would play and Mike Myers wouldn't be there. And then, like, you turn around 90 degrees and he's right there. And you're like, fuck. Yeah, yeah the music's just a step ahead of the action. Yeah, or... Yeah. or um, you, you know it, it's kind of a separate character like f- you're kind of like fencing with it like yeah are, am i gonna land a blow here like is there something yeah. here or am i gonna hit air 
Yeah, and, and yeah. I think that you'd equally hit something solid like Mike Myers in the in the depth yeah. of frame as often as you see nothing in the depth of frame. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to go back and see occasions where we maybe get the music and it's a uh, sort of a false start. Maybe. Yeah, I also think maybe it was cueing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that perhaps the music plays when they're making plans for mm. um, like to have sex and, and mm. go uh, stay at, at that house and, and have the boy uh, or the girl that she's babysitting go stay with or maybe it was a boy that she was babysitting and go be with Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, yeah. I think that some of the setup moments were where the music was playing. Yeah. And I was like, why yeah. is this playing? And yeah. so I think the payoff might mm. might actually be there in a second rewatch when I understand mm. the context of what the uh, leading is to. That's fair. That could totally improve it for me on second viewing if I pay attention to the sequencing of it rather than just its occurrence. Yes. Regardless of it, whether it's buried or not. That's cool. I like it. All right. Mm. And that's as much as I wanted to pull yeah. out of you and push out it'll, myself. It'll roll into the next one nicely. So let's get to Halloween 2018 and get some refills. Let's do it. He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out the wall! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? Cheers. Cheers. Halloween 2018. Directed by David Gordon Green. That's the best thing you could say about it. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Once again, I don't think I could name any anybody else in this movie. Judy Greer. Yes, I could. She's great. Oh, you liked her. Cool. Yes. Nice. She worked for me quite a bit. She yeah. always works for me. Yeah. She's arguably the funniest character in Arrested Development, which is uh, a show full of funniest characters, but she really stands out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her in this one. Um, exasperation is maybe with her mother is what I often got from her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd say I she's like was, one of the was, only characters was... that's believable. Ah, interesting. So, so we'll start with some characters, perhaps. Um Judy Greer, thumbs up. Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Lori. Nine. Not so much. No. No. Uh, just didn't buy it. Not good. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. It did not work for me at all. It felt like it was telegraphing, mm. acting. Um, I don't know if that makes sense much to the listeners. Uh, it's kind of like she was doing an impersonation of how she thought a character she had once portrayed would continue to behave um it it was kind of an overthought under executed performance um but the film does make me think that there's a lot on the cutting room floor so i don't want to be super unfair Mm -hmm. but i will say her performance here as this character does not work for me whereas Mm -hmm. her performance is in um scream queens i think it's a Mm. fox or nbc show with emma roberts absolutely worked for me so it's not that she doesn't work as a performer it's that this character um in this rendition of this screenplay with its psychological focus and its weird Mm. 
podcast characters exposition <laughs> just didn't totally fit the uh into a horror movie mm. um and it doesn't necessarily stack up to be a comedic classic i did you mm. see this with the sold out crowd uh it was a packed house yes yeah as yeah. did i did anyone yeah. make noise at yours they did so we sort of had reverse experiences with yes. our two halloweens um yeah my crowd it was as if they had never seen a horror movie because people were yelling like don't go in there get the knife i was like have you never seen a slasher movie people were loving it which is interesting because you had the total opposite experience nobody um, made a peep yeah nobody clapped yeah oh yeah this was we all silently was got up and walked out yeah which theater uh, the Dolby Digital Theater in the Linwood Mall or Alderwood Linwood. Mall. Yeah, yeah. Linwood, Alderwood, same idea. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. My my crowd was into it, so you know that always plays a factor. Um, and I I can also tell you, no one got scared. I was like uh, watching the crowd because that's what yeah. I do when I'm worried about the fact that I might get scared. I stop mm. looking at the screen with complete attention and I start kind of scanning the crowd at the mm. same time. Yeah, makes me a little bit less uh, of a pussy. <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah i i think I, I think i definitely felt fear um in my audience and um i think even more often than fear just heard gasps at some of the violence um and some of the um and in particular moments him dropping the teeth over the bathroom stall um him like who hadn't seen that 38 times in trailers right you know yeah I agree. That's well. I, I did kind of think to myself. I'm like, guys, like this isn't like new stuff. Yeah, um, this is I was old. a little surprised. Yeah. Um, but I still found um many moments that I enjoyed. Um, I found this to have more tension. I thought than I think you did. Um, I thought it was it was. I thought the direction was just fine. Um. I agree that the directing was better than fine, though. Yeah. I, like, I guess I disagree. I think the directing was good. And <laughs> <laughs> what up each other. Yeah. I like David Gordon Green's directing. Well, I don't like Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, direction we're both probably okay with. You, yeah, you I more like so. It. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I have a unique understanding of Gordon Green's um, stylings. And his adaptability. And he strikes me as one of those guys that can really just hop into any sort of a commercial production and turn out at least a decent product. Yeah. And I uh, I really like his staggering close-ups with the um, saturated depth of frame. Yeah. So you're kind of... You get the super uh, clean look of clarity on normally on a close-up of a face with him. And mm-hmm. then in the, in the depth of the background, um, you still understand what's there, but it's kind of fuzzy... And it, it, it gives you the atmosphere of the scene, but it brings your attention to the performer. Mm. And I think the problem is that style is good, but these performers were mostly not good. Mm. Or rather, the dialogue they were performing wasn't. Because I think the screenplay was fine. It was the dialogue that kind mm. of... in the fact that they went to the school or interacted the with the high school characters at all mm. really detracted from it. Um, mm. Whereas the high school characters in the first one worked because they were mm-hmm. treated as adults this was yeah. like um you know like if super bad was written poorly and also included in halloween mm, yeah not nearly as funny 
Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But like that tone of these cheesy, weird characters uh, that are Mm. uh, happen to be high schoolers. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I I will confess that there were, there were more than a few moments where I was laughing and I felt like I was laughing with the film rather than at it. Um, I thought the, I thought the kid was funny who the blonde girl babysits. Yeah. I think Um, I was laughing when he was screaming for her. Yeah. While he was getting murdered. Yeah. Um, uh, I would, uh, on the topic of Michael Myers, I found him more intimidating here. Um, I thought the mask looked better. I liked its sort of weathered, aged look. I liked the moment where we put it on. I was with it. Um, yeah, no, I think that was earned. Once yeah. again, that's back to direction. Like, the way that Gordon yeah. Green is allowing these close-ups to show the moments of him putting the mask on. Mm. Uh, that type of thing. That's what worked. Yeah. It's the idea that Mike Myers is this giant, sl- uh, lumbering oaf. Mm-hmm that somehow outpaced um, the young granddaughter of Jamie Lee Curtis's character in getting to her friend. Right? Like, he had uh, enough time yeah. to to murder the friend, lift yeah. the friend, and pale him on the gate. Mm, yeah. And by the time she sprints back, because she's mm. running when we cut to, mm. he's gone. And, but well, he's gone yeah. so quickly, but also so invisibly. The light didn't yeah. turn back on. No, mm-hmm. just that's fair. No continuity. Yeah, like, and yeah. there were a few continuity errors in this. I mm. don't know if you noticed them. Did Did you? You were much any? more attuned to continuity errors. Um. So f- the first moment, the new. I uh, I don't want to say pneumatic, but I guess um, shoot, not pneumatic. What's the proper term here? Um. It's it's the powered island that rotates. Uh, I I can't think of what. I, oh I guess yeah, automated the, the kitchen island rotation thing. Yeah. island. Um. So the first rotation of it, it opens and she's looking down at this closed surface. Mm. Cut to an upshot of an open surface (laughs) up these stairs of Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, what did the editor do? Groan. (laughs) Because I know David Gordon Green shot enough for that whole... I I know that he shot enough for everything to work. Because this style of these uh, hyper close-up, shallow... Um, surface depth of frame fuzzies uh, is exactly what he used in Stronger with like Tatiana Bislami mm. and, and Jake Gyllenhaal. So yeah. th- this is something f- familiar of a styling for him and I think Danny McBride gave him a, a good arc of a story. Yeah. But somewhere someone got a hold of the dialogue <laughs> and yeah. totally compromised the movie and then the editor undercut mm. what was artistically present. Slashed it up. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I think there's a, a decent film somehow with this. And mm. I don't think that we got that. And, yep. and I, I I don't understand maybe where you're getting the mm. overall sense of pleasure from it. Is it from mm. all the side characters or is it from the arc of the narrative? I would say it's kind of two things. It's, it's, it's individual moments um, here and there that I thought were particularly uh, just... Um, in, engrossing perhaps um, like when he goes and gets the hammer and commits that murder it's kind of that classic POV again yeah that's yeah. a nice one yeah. where, we're aligned, where we're aligned with his perspective great moment yeah um, I I up and I mean I, I can't say I was thinking about some of that editing up until uh, 
uh, he impales the guy on the fence. Um, I thought that that was a, uh, a decently staged uh, little kill. Um, oh, I, did, I, I, I didn't agree mind it was that a good moment. kill. It's just yeah. the, the fact that he's not there. Mm. Um, it compromises mm. him as a creature of horror. Gotcha. Yeah. Because he's this lumbering oaf who yeah. is unstoppable. Like, he's either this unstoppable force or he's the this immovable object, right? Yeah. And yeah. the narrative is that he's this slow lumbering murderer with the yeah. knife. Mm-hmm. Or with knives, rather. And if he is slow moving okay she's she would have seen him but yeah. if he moves fast he would have triggered the the light alarm maybe he just went the other way maybe went along the side of the house <laughs> i is, no because if he moved along the side of the house he would have gone towards the light that <laughs> has the sensor so yeah yeah um yeah there, there are particulars that i that i wasn't um attuned to in the moment um I was just sort of amused with, you know, the kid who's hoping for romance only to get shat on and then killed. To me, it's a very simple, small little arc within that moment. Um, I, uh, like I said, I was amused by the kid um, who was babysat. Um, I thought there were... Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think you did say it, but that was a, that's, yeah. that's a great scene. Yeah, I thought he was super funny. Um, Hilarious. Just after he picks up the hammer and uh, takes out the the motherly, matronly character, uh, he goes into another house and um, after he's picked takes, up the knife, yeah, takes out you know another seemingly random woman kind of from behind. Um, people were into these moments people were were sort of gasping and that kind of oh, thing oh yeah no i think that those moments were good the thing is yeah. uh i think those moments take place in the first quarter of the film yeah and yeah. i i don't know that there's any of those good moments at, that are like that after this yeah i think it kind yeah. of starts i would say the the good directing moments really like strong moments of cinema mm. start yeah. in the um psychological facility i want to say Mm. Um, when they're kind of on those chess squares. Yeah, and I, I could not decide what to make of that scene, but yeah, I know what you're talking it, about. It was strong um, visually, mm. though, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And mm. I, I think that it proceeds in those moments of br- brutality that are untethered brutality. Mm. And then as yeah. soon as it becomes tethered more, um, mm. do you think it kind of removes itself from this great cinematic moments? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a strong opening, um, and I kind of thought the same thing about it looking something like a game board, a chessboard. Um, and I would agree, uh, to me, the shots of some of the other um, patients sort of um, uh, works with this sort of fear of the other that you get in a lot of horror films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, that it didn't really follow through on. Um Agreed. It's weird how it feels like the Michael Myers character sort of offers up the opportunity to exploit that fear, and it hints at it here, and then it doesn't do anything with it, which is kind of odd. But I th- but I agree that I like that scene. It just yeah, I was surprised by it. Once again, I think it's I, I think it's Dan McBride's screenplay that's strong, but somehow the it's either lost on the editing bay floor or or the dial whoever did the dialogue rewrites or or added these characters. Um, hmm. 
kind of undercut what, what's a strong story because I, I don't think you have a weaker film without the high school moments mm. I agree I uh, thought the boyfriend character made very little sense to me who sort of jarringly uh, makes out with some other girl and turns out to kind of be a dick mm-hmm. um, it felt very narratively convenient to just have him suddenly she doesn't have a phone now yeah it oh, was okay i was kind of groaning i was like this seems a little silly um to have uh that sharp of a change in character yeah um but uh yeah performance wise I, I gravitated towards her i liked her you not so much just or, or I, I don't the, think you that couldn't she, get past the dialogue anyways i don't think that she was able to interact in enough mature situations for me to fully comprehend her ability um yeah. at, just as a performer and, and i would say so far as a character in the film she's fine she's not great though because of the narrative constraints of her interactions with these peers of hers totally suck yeah in the in this screenplay not as yeah. performers but just what they're asked to do um, yeah. And I think that moments where the boyfriend is present are particularly what I would point to is the weakest moments of the film. Like that dinner mm. scene sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. That's where Jamie Lee Curtis is at her worst. Mm. Not as like a character, but as a performer. Like that was just mm. bad. It was like overacting. Yeah. It was like Night of the Living Dead again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would, I would almost maybe cries. like forgive her and maybe just run with your point that like had they just sort of committed to um a a more clear sort of um evolution of her character some of those moments might have worked better but when you sort of see her on one hand as this tough ready to fight badass yeah versus the depressed um closed off victim i agree it's maybe sort of hard to reconcile so when you get one and then the other they they both sort of look wrong um, but I could see how if you just stuck to one or the other, like, I don't know that I had a problem with her. It was just more sort of how, um, noncommittal it was to who she is now. Hmm. I, the only thing that I could say is there might be transitory moments once again on the editing bay floor that, yeah. uh, allowed the transition to take place. But, um, if I were to go back and just show you that one dinner scene where she has an emotional breakdown and clutches the sides of her face like this. Mm-hmm. and begin sobbing like a four-year-old i don't mm-hmm. think that you would say that that's good acting you might mm-hmm. be able to forgive it within the character but i mm-hmm. i just because my acting concentration maybe when i'm watching yeah yeah i, I think that anyone if if you were just to look mm-hmm. at it could see that number one it doesn't fit the girl scout character that mm-hmm. she started in 78 and number yeah. two it's just not a good part of the performing uh repertoire that we've seen from her Mm. she's able to have emotions much more effectively than that yeah and a subdued hyperventilating breakdown would have been Mm. a lot better than clutching the sides of her face and acting like a small child beginning to Mm. sob and weep openly um because that that kind of signals that she doesn't have any sense of understanding of where she is in the world socially Mm. and i don't buy into that for this character this character seems yeah. much too attuned. You know, you can't mm. not die and be attuned to your surroundings and also yeah. act out like a small child. Yeah. 
I would agree that the performance didn't do much for me, but sort of like narratively, I was e it was easy enough for me to just buy into her as someone whose behavior is sort of a function of her having been traumatized. Yes. And that's where some of, some of this bizarre behavior might sort of come from. Yeah, no, I think the traumatized mm -hmm. behavior thing is super important because that's what leads to the relationship with the granddaughter and her chasing her outside the restaurant. I think that's yeah. a crucial screenplay moment. I think that the decision to have the breakdown as if she's a small child clutching mm. the sides of her face like this mm. doesn't, infantilized doesn't, or something. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work in the way that yeah. a hyperventilating um, mm. shame breakdown works. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, because if she were to have this breakdown um, because of her her um, emotions for her daughter and her care, but also because of a sense of shame, it would be more of a hyperventilating breakdown, which yeah. I think she could pull off better yeah. and would really um, kind of ground the film. And I think that yeah. that's what this comes down to. There's no grounding to the film outside mm. of what Gordon Green is doing with his um, camera. Mm. Yeah, I think the ground that I did find was in the film being one about a need for closure, which I think is perhaps generous, but I think that idea was enough for me to, to run with it and enjoy it for what it was. Um, I was able to accept her as a character traumatized by what happened 50 years ago, assuming this is taking place in 2018. Um, and despite him being locked away, um, is having trouble moving on. Um, and I felt a payoff when Michael Myers does die in the end, spoiler alert, um, for her um, and her being able to finally move on. Um, I will concede this is generous, and that is why this is in no way a great film, but was enough for me to enjoy myself. Oh, I absolutely <laughs> agree. You are being generous. Ooh. <laughs> uh, the ending did not work for me. No. Uh, it did in the beginning, and then... Uh, the claim that this was a trap the whole time and that Judy Greer was mm. down there uh, acting as if she was bait um, and that this was part of the plan the whole time for her to go lock these rooms after she clears them get thrown out the door and then come in and, mm. and hide I don't buy that for a, a second much. I did not buy that for a second uh, <laughs> it, it's a once again a great screenplay premise just like apostle mm. is a great screenplay premise yeah but the thing is narrative transitions don't work in in visual mediums and mm. i think that while that would work narratively because you have the tone of eeriness and of creepiness as as you could follow your main character jamie lee curtis's character um traipsing around and believe that she's truly this invincible character that doesn't work in a visual medium where you're seeing her get beaten and battered um mm. And, and the idea that somehow Judy Greer or um, the idea that they knew accidentally that the granddaughter would be coming in to make a sound to distract Mike mm. Myers so that she could yeah. get away. It's a little far fetched. To say it's far fetched is kind. That's fair. You know. I, yeah. I think it's maybe a credit to Green's direction that he could distract me enough with his direction to transcend the screenplay. Agreed. Um, like, I. I, I wasn't even I, I sort of um, just I, I wasn't even paying attention to some of these um, the ridiculousness of some of it because I just felt that him knowing where to put the camera when to start the music what that music was was enough for me to just 
feel it, regardless of whether or not it's sort of sensical. Sometimes the feeling overrides the logic. Yes, but I, I will say that I, while I love David Gordon Green, I think that maybe you're giving him too much praise mm. because you're saying that he's deciding when to cue the music. And mm. I do not believe that he had the authority to do such. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I, th- I, I should think just that he about... probably worked in correlation with, but I think that it's probably the music editor's yeah. job to do You're that, right. I should talk composer. about just the film, right, rather than maybe it. No, I, should, no, I, should, abso- I don't know absolutely. if I'm attributing it to, to him appropriately but no absolutely talk about all those things it's just when you say that it was david gordon green's decision i Mm. i don't think that that's necessarily wholly true because there is a music editor there is a composer yeah and i know that he did assist in the the theme the new theme Mm. um but i I don't know that he would i i would assume that he worked at least with the music composer and editor yeah he did it again Yeah. yeah yeah um yeah fair enough I but, but i mean like i shouldn't where, heap all the praise on him other people they're doing work. yeah but i mean like yeah. where it's placed in the film i don't think that he made all those choices yeah. i think that that's someone else yeah. as well with him for sure yeah for sure credit where it's due yeah you're standing or up for those just guys less... the below the line guys you're like damn it they did something or don't <laughs> give don't give david too much praise i love the guy but don't, yeah. don't give him credit for things that he yeah he wouldn't want credit for <laughs> yeah um but yeah i did like the music as you already noted mm-hmm. um we get more guitar in this one than we do in the 1978 version yes much uh, more yeah and there i listened to the soundtrack just once this week there's one track in particular it's just called michael kills again i don't know i don't remember which scene in particular it comes on it might be when the kid All gets of impaled. Them when he kills again probably <laughs> i think it's when he gets impaled gotcha. when he impales the kid on the fence but when he's um, killing the kid who is later impaled on the fence we yeah don't see that act yeah you get that same piano riff and then that big sort of uh drone kind of metal guitar comes in just one big strum um which to me really fits with the look of michael like he kind of has this industrial kind of look with the jumpsuit mm-hmm. and this is kind of like an industrial nine inch nails almost kind of metal ish yeah. guitar and it's funny that he has a knife because the hammer seems very appropriate to me mm-hmm. with that whole industrial aesthetic. Whenever that moment came that and that guitar came in, I was like, I just think this is a really nice pairing of sound and image. I'm like, he he needs to be in like the most terrifying metal band that you could think of. And he would fit right in. Um, the thing is, they couldn't play to crowds. Definitely not. And they probably mm-hmm. need to play in separate cells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I like the updated score. I thought it just fits nicely with um, uh, his look, and it's a really clear um, continuation of what the original sounded like while sort of innovating um, on, the uh, on top of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it was good. I, I didn't particularly respond strongly to it. I was not detracted yeah. by it, and once again, that's the mark of a good score for me. Yeah. If it um, does not overwhelm in a negative way or sometimes even in a positive way there's really quite a few scores um that i can think of that overwhelm in a bad way Mm, and kind of a few that you'd limit to perhaps some of the best composers of all time that i can think Mm. of off the top of my head which would be like a johan johansson or a hans zimmer yeah definitely yeah i don't know that I, i would agree it's not in those leagues by any means 
Um, but I think it, it accentuated certain sequences for me enough yeah. that I was, you know, having fun. Or didn't undercut them. Absolutely. Which is, you yeah. know, something that a score can accidentally do constantly. So. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's one that I would, uh, I don't think people need to rush out and to see it, but I had fun with it. I think it's worth a red box. Yeah. Um, don't know that I'd urge you to see it if you're paying for your theater experiences, but if you've got AMC A-list, give mm. it a go. If you are still one of the two MoviePass subscribers and it becomes an available title. Five weeks from now. Give it a go. <laughs> if it's at a theater near you. Um, otherwise, I, I don't... You know, if you miss this one, you're not missing much. Uh, you could go catch up with Night of the Living Dead and be much better off. And I did not like yeah. that movie very much and i still think it's a much better movie than this one yeah yeah in a way it's a little i, I don't know i'm trying to think about what other horror movies are playing right now ahead of halloween um i don't if you're looking for a scary movie what would you tell people Oath with like baron that... holtz and tiffany haddish no yeah it's not a scary movie <laughs> yeah what what are going to be scary movies that are out in time if you were to recommend something in theaters over this i don't know that there is anything anyways unfortunately yeah, that's that kind of weird quite weird that we already yeah. had the nun come out we've already yeah. gone through all those we don't get happy death day 2 until valentine's day if i remember yeah. correctly i think this can make a killing just because there's no competition regardless yeah. of whether people like it or not that is bizarre right usually there's at least a couple what is i guess i okay i would say go see venom instead mm. yeah that's fair might even be a little cheaper now yeah I, I would say go see First Man instead. You want to be horrified by your emotions? Oh. Do you want to be shattered by Karen? What's more horrifying than grief? And Claire Foy when she's mad at you. There you go. All right. Cheers. Another one in the bag. Let's get to the deuce. Look at you. Look at you. Look at us. Bound for glory. Who would have thought, right? The Deuce. La Deuce. Season 2 of HBO's show The Deuce, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal, James Franco. Who else? James Franco. James Franco. Dual uh, roles. I don't know the names of the other ones, but I know that um, one of our um, kind of pornographer producer characters is one of the communists of my much mm. beloved head oh, Caesar. Yeah. I do remember that. Yep. Um, I like him. Lost we, weight. We have Method Man as one of the peons. Jeez. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've got a bunch of really strong uh, femme fatale characters who I just don't know mm -hmm. the names of them as actresses. I think one might be yeah. Deborah Winger. I could be incorrect mm. on that. Um, but they're a lot of really strong performers. Um, totally. But yeah. no one is... Um, as talented as the set designers and the art decorators for our oh, directors. Yeah. That is maybe the strongest appeal of this show to me is just its sense of time and place. Did you see that um, uh, kind of a, a, I guess the only way I can think to recall it is this deaf styled movie that kind of goes to the 1970s last year. It's this children's uh, movie oh yeah Based wonderstruck wonderstruck yeah did you see that film by i chance? did i like that movie when i watch the deuce it makes me think of mm. that movie because of how strong this flashbacks. 1970s uh set design oh is. yeah totally yeah that's a nice comparison i like that 
absolutely apt, yeah. right? Sex and pornography and yeah. children's story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is weird how sort of inviting this world is because of how detailed and fully realized it is, considering how sort of fraught it is at mm-hmm. the same time. Um, but I am just very, very drawn into the world. Yes. Um, and never doubt anything about the locations and where people are and what they're doing. I kind of do. Like when James Franco's just walking past people on the street and mm. they're not turning their heads going, holy shit, he's a beautiful man. I'm like, uh, eh. Questionable. That's James Franco, guys. Mm. Look at him. Yeah. That's James Franco. <laughs> Good looking dude. Mm. Um, so yeah, you watched this this morning, correct? I did. I will. It's fresh in your mind. I guess it's all technically this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's extra fresh in your mind. Um, we're talking about episodes one and two. Which are called Our Raison d'Etre, and there's an art to this. Love it. Um, I really enjoyed both these episodes. I particularly loved the intro to episode one, um, where we get that long tracking shot of Maggie Gyllenhaal walking into the club mm-hmm. um, at the start of Raison d'Etre. Um, uh, to me, it was very reminiscent of uh, the intro to Boogie Nights, mm-hmm. um, which I think would be kind of fun to rewatch at some point during this season. Um, not that I'll necessarily get to it, but um, I think they both start in 1977. Um, so Boogie Nights gives us a look into the porn industry on the West Coast. The Deuce giving us a look into the porn industry on the East Coast, same year. Um, and they both start out with these kind of long tracking shots that uh introduce you to all these different characters um that to me sort of gives it this um feeling of a uh sort of dysfunctional family which is not to um overstate like how close some of these characters are like some of these relationships are uh quite fraught to to use that word again but i think i immediately got the sense that these are all people who can't live with each other can't live without each other um so i was in very quickly. Yeah, I, I get the sense that New York City can't live without these people or with or with Yeah. Them yeah, well. yeah, the city itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Um so just to be uh the same totally differently, I feel mm. the opposite. Like the most powerful scene is at the very, very end. Love it. Which when day? um I, I believe that this is the very last scene when we see um Maggie's character cutting the porn film mm. while yeah. James Franco is having intercourse, I believe, with Deborah Winger's character. Mm. yeah uh wait yeah deborah winger's character she's the young girl the bartender right yes i believe so gotcha. i, I yeah. think yeah. that i'm saying that correctly but yeah. I, either way it's the love interest of james franco's good character yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah uh because he's playing twins um and they're they're having intercourse at the end and but before this scene we've kind of had this confrontation with the socialist from hail caesar yeah um yeah. In which Maggie is told that she can't have her porn film cut very much like an art film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and she's explaining that this is what it's like when a, when a woman orgasms. Yeah. He's like, okay, yeah. but that's not who pays. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then she's going back and she's re-watching, uh, cutting, and editing while we're cutting back and forth mm. between um, James Franco and Deborah having intercourse. Yeah. And it was like this meta Ooh, yeah, that's nice. That I really, really enjoyed the effect of. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about the ending because I was thinking about the beginning. That's awesome. Um, 
It's a pretty simple episode. Um, it's just James Franco looking for James, James Franco. Franco. Yeah. I know it's, I think it's Frank and Vincent, even after a whole season, I, I still so. can't keep the names straight between the two Francos. If, if there was only one HBO series per year, I could keep up, but yeah. Names are, there's HBO, names are tough. Stars, Showtime, Amazon, Netflix, yeah. Hulu, Complicated and then things. there's FX, and there's, and yeah. there's NBC, there's The Good Place. Yeah. yeah. What are yeah. they going to do? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's one Paramount of those episodes. Network. Yeah. They add up. <laughs> It's one of those episodes where it'd be easy to say, well, not much happens because, like, narratively, it is just James Franco looking for his brother, but it just feels very full, very full of life. I, I think it establishes very much the tone and the metaphors that we're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, I think about one third of the way through this episode, I began to pick up uh, on what I think may be the strongest conversation they're going to have this season is the relationship of uh, pimp to whore and mm. agent to star. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, I wish, I wish I could remember certain characters' names, but um, there is the the one particular woman who's um, at the end of episode two perhaps trying to abandon her pimp in favor of an agent. Yes. And I think those shifting power dynamics will be very interesting because I don't think many of these pimps are going to take it very well. Um, I don't but either, but it's also interesting that the pimps, uh, one of the pimps specifically, we don't know if this will happen yet because we haven't seen episode three, Yeah, uh, has entertained the thought and had a conversation about becoming <laughs> talent himself. Yeah, that was fascinating. Um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about whether or not he'll actually go through with it. I feel like they um, have to because this yeah. is part of... Uh, I think porn culture in the late 70s, early 80s is yeah. this shifting dynamic to um, figuring out all these different genres that you can make money on. Yeah. Um, and right now she's figuring out how to tell a story with pornography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the power dynamics are part of what makes it pretty interesting between the pimps, the prostitutes, the cops, the mob, um, and the francos who are just trying to make a living um you know all these people seem to sort of just make this ecosystem right but then there's this other interesting trickle down which is like without the mafia there is no james franco being successful without james franco yeah. being successful deborah winger's character doesn't have stability so she can't bring about change yeah and she's bringing about all this social change for the betterment of women yeah but hmm. she can't do any of that without the mafia backing her husband which is just this yeah. insane uh, and, yeah. and very deeply cool uh, yeah. visual storytelling that yeah. thing that they're doing about yeah. reality and how like okay the mafia might be terrible but look about look at the good thing like do you want to get rid of the good thing yeah just to get rid of the mafia are you sure yeah I don't know if I do mm -hmm. like I don't know if getting rid of the mafia is a better thing to do if you're getting rid of the change that she's bringing about and and um, yeah you know, she's helping um, some of these prostitutes learn how to read. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, she, one of these main characters who I really, really enjoy, uh, she's just oh, a yeah. really strong presence, just got her GED. Yeah. And uh, yeah. She, she's reading, I believe, uh, The Song of Solomon. Ah. Is that correct? I don't remember. I, I think she's reading The Song of Solomon, which is kind of this, like, biographic um, story from this female author who I don't recall the name of for some reason at the moment. But it's yeah. it's this really fascinating tale that 
I, I would you know equate to being just as important as you know to kill a mockingbird or, mm. or the great gatsby except for it's, yeah. it's kind of more of an african-american story yeah and it's huge yeah. it's just this enormous biography and the yeah. fact that she's reading like one of the most complicated deep works of art you know you'd compare it to something like a the fountainhead or or, or uh ulysses yeah. or moby dick you know and she was reading it on a porn set yeah yeah and then she's like i'm gonna go take college classes at night if i can yeah. why you want to get your degree mm. no i just want to learn yeah great yeah, her, great moment great line her growth has been very satisfying right yeah um i feel like she's gonna become an agent maybe oh you think so she could be running things i feel like she could yeah i agree um i'm trying to remember the specifics of, of episode uh two um was there sort of a driving force try to i'm trying to uh, refresh um, my memory it is uh kind of so it, it's the follow-up to the fact that he never found his brother in episode one yeah oh and, yeah he, get, and he gets his, married. his brother has gotten married and yep. the money that he stole is now on his wife's finger yeah got as it. a ring yep um and then james franco um leaves the bar in the hands of i believe mike mm. who is his bouncer um instead of in the hands of mm. his brother um and mike runs the bar extremely well oh yeah which is okay. kind of this great moment where we see him ascending to possibly a, a better position of power yeah which yeah. allows james franco's good character to perhaps have more leniency in his ability to be more places at once which will yeah. be interesting to see transition yeah. throughout the show and then him and deborah winger's character go to his home and mm. they kind of have this really beautiful loving moment mm. yeah. um and then they leave all of a sudden for um a, a birthday or not birthday a baby shower yeah that's right mm. and then we kind of proceed to it being over and all of a sudden the bar is super busy and it's the next night and she gets yeah. this phone call after he gets a phone call and he has to leave because the businesses are in jeopardy and so the way that she can bring about changes in jeopardy and then she gets a phone call while he's still trying to talk to her before he leaves the bar she goes yep. something came up have to leave mm. and it's like this classic transition of she's got a separate love interest yeah but then we yeah. cut to this basement or, or she kind of walks in but we, we basically end up in this basement of a catholic church yeah where mm. she's sharing a super long loving stare with another woman yeah you're yeah. like what yeah so so she was in season one i believe yes. right yeah yeah she was i forget which i think she was aligned with or attached to um, but she seems to have broken out of prostitution. Um, or perhaps she's um, trying to better it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, just, just to help the girls mm -hmm. um, who, who feel forced to resort to it. Um, or the girls who come to it because they want to. And there's so, so many, as we see. And that's another part yeah. of episode two. Um, the, uh, we see the classic thing from episode, uh, the first season where mm. someone comes in off the train or off the buses and a pimp's there trying to convince her to work for him. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, oh, I already got a job lined up. Can you give me directions? Yeah, <laughs> and he's yeah like, exactly. I, or, or he doesn't understand exactly. And he's like, I give you direction. You're going to be good. I can already tell. And she's like, I'll just go this way. Quite the salesman. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a, a fascinating moment. And then we kind of get more conversation about how there's all these women pouring in. Yeah. And how there's all these jobs in competition and i think that one of the prostitutes 
says to Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, the all all these girls are coming in and, and they don't even know what it's like to whore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it's it's a it's a weird show in how it sort of is inviting and sort of distancing at the same time. Like you don't really want to be a part of this, but. Um, there's just something sort of about this environment and how believable it is that kind of draws you in. Yeah, you don't want to be complicit, um, but yeah, it's like it's going to keep going whether you're there or not. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I kept kind of thinking during episode two about just what sex means to some of these people because of um, some of the conversations they're having. There's that scene where Maggie Gyllenhaal is talking to her son at the diner and he's talking about um um a girl he likes in his class not talking about sex specifically but he's talking about sort of a young young love for mm-hmm. lack of a better word and then james franco goes to like coney island with with his girlfriend and he's talking about having been beneath the pier with girls when he was a kid um something just about like what kind of sex and young love and love period sort of means to these people in the sex industry um i don't know that i have an answer for that but i found something kind of running through that episode about that yeah i don't know that i have a any conclusion but that sort of piqued my interest that's Mm. so the general sense i got was that james franco wasn't in love with those girls he was under the pier with I think I agree. And yeah. I don't yeah. think that the boy, I don't think mm. Maggie Gyllenhaal's son was in love with the girl. Yeah. Um, specifically what's happening is that he has a crush on this girl and yeah. that his friend also does right. have a crush yeah. on her. But she doesn't like his friend. She likes mm. him. Yeah. And he's asking his mom what to do. And she basically says, what's more important to you? Your ability to go out with this girl or your relationship with your friend? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that there is something happening there, but I don't know that it's a conversation about love in that way. Because yeah. I feel like the love is what um, Deborah Winger and James Franco are doing, which is by talking about the truth yeah. of their past with mm. uh, openness, forgiveness, understanding, and yeah. kind of unconditional love. Yeah. And what she says, uh, he says, I used to take girls down there, and she says, I used to have boys in the boathouse. I think I would have had mm. a lot more fun here. Yeah, yeah. And that he kind of pulls her in closer. And mm. kisses her on the on the top of her head and and kind of sh- phys- physically and visually loves her more, yeah, because of her honesty. I think that um, yeah, it's very romantic walk. Th- th- there yeah, is like talk a, about other a conversation happening. I just I also don't know how to put it, and I feel like yeah. I came at the conversation or the authorial voice of this episode mm. of about love differently. But I arrive mm. kind of on the other yeah. edge of this central yeah. conversation, and it's really yeah. weird that we can't feel out what's in the cesspool yeah of of love that they're trying to talk about which is nice like it's 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 just enough to kind of get you thinking right about what relationships mean to people what intimacy means to these people Mm -hmm. in this particular environment and in light of what they do for a living um in a way that's very uh sincere and not just um provocative you know i think this very very easily could have been um just uh titillating and i never felt that way um i i think that i think that it has moments where it's titillating but i think that it has such a deep gravitas Mm -hmm. 
to its conversations about social economics that the, the titillating moments are kind of undercut with humor so it all works yeah you know like anytime it tries to uh or anytime it's feigning titillation it ends up with yeah. a patron after the plexiglass has been taken out with his hands stuck yeah. because of the the uh the wall came back down and the button yeah. didn't work yeah yeah um yeah it's great stuff um i feel like season one is was a little more bleak than these first two episodes feel to me tonally um but only to bring up boogie nights one more time and then i'll stop with that connection when i think no, about I think boogie it's nights probably a good connection mm-hmm. i just don't think about it very much so yeah. you're if anything mm-hmm. helping me i'm not against it yeah with this season starting at the same year that that movie starts and that movie's turning point being the 80s when vhs comes and the golden age of hollywood or golden age of porn comes crashing down given sort of this leap in time that we took from season one to season two it does sort of be, leave me cautious about how long this um this this good moment can last until sort of this um uh golden age comes crashing down well, at the these people. at the most it'll be until the very end of episode nine which is the last episode of the season yeah. right yeah i'm thinking long term yeah. No. Um. So, are you are you aware of the news that broke? I think last week that the Deuce will only have one more season. And that's oh, the final season. don't tell me that. And uh, <laughs> I, I believe that the article also indicated it would be a, a between a six to ten year jump. Yeah. So yeah. we we will see kind of the co coalescence of all this. I think that basically Makes they sense. just got to a a point where James is negatively in the. Mm. Uh, news too much for them to continue mm. with the show uh, yeah as it is yeah well yeah that's interesting in the in light of the fact that there's only three maybe this is the the crest of this movement and season three is going to be the downturn but what's interesting is that season three could also be like the true ascension of women's independence yeah, yeah. um meaning the pimps begin to finally disappear but yeah. with the pimps disappearing, so too does the wealth that was trickling down to them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, interesting, interesting system. And, and yeah. I imagine that what will also happen is that there will be more sheetrock and more cranes. Yeah, yeah, to, exactly. To quote that character. Yeah, I agree. Um, excited to see where it goes. What, what do you think about that kind of underlying narrative of the... Um, this this extra character who's trying to interact with our one good detective who actually does his job and isn't in on the take what's the extra character you're thinking of um the fellow who hands um the detective who's investigating a murder his card when he's going yeah. into the oh. murder scene uh yeah he's like is he fbi uh, no no he's like an independent uh business character that's there for the welfare of new york city oh gotcha yeah yeah absolutely um yeah, he's concerned about what this will do for tourism. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, he's concerned about what it will do for New York uh, income, I'll say. Via tourism, right? I, I don't think that it's exclusively tourism. I think that it's about all avenues of wealth. And I think yeah. that we will see all avenues of wealth. Yeah, yeah. That he's interested um, Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, 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 haven't, I hadn't put much thought into it, but... Um, I could absolutely see that becoming an even stronger force amongst all these power dynamics when 
we see like local government playing a stronger role in just saying we have to clean this up we're not willing to turn a blind eye and just let this get pushed indoors we're saying we're done with this um that could put us pretty swift endings an ending to things well i what i'm thinking that's ultimately what happened (laughs) what i'm thinking though is that if you take the tone of this story with the mafia kind of running the streets where all the crime is Mm-hmm. Because the crime is delegated to streets, right? Like right now, yeah. New York isn't too different than Detroit at this point in time. Mm. Now, what's different about New York and Detroit now is all the wealth that was put into raising large buildings with large amounts of sheetrock with lots amount, large amounts of people. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that crime lessened in New York so much as crime became more privatized to rooms. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. What, what I'm wondering is if this is going to show us how landowners... And property mm. owners end up filling in this spot mm. of the mafia, and the mafia mm. begins to disappear because someone's operating at a larger mm. level of wealth, doing what yeah. the mafia is doing already. They kind of get squeezed out. Exactly. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I kind of hope it does that because that's interesting. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's kind of yeah. the tone that it's going for because yeah. that's the line that he says is the the only thing that uh, that will truly lessen crime is more sheetrock and more cranes yeah yeah that makes sense which literally means just getting crime off the streets which is classically behind the, walls, the, the yeah. way to to solve crime you, you get it yeah. off the streets and all of a sudden you know at least you're limiting how many people the crime affects yeah yeah it's kind of isn't that uh kind of the broken windows yeah. idea right build buildings keep them clean keep them uh appealing and Nope. Interesting stuff. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes. You're making me think about that Charlie Chaplin uh, short film. I think it's The Tramp. Or maybe it's The he's Kid. He's The Tramp. No, it's The oh, Kid. Oh, The Kid, yeah. Yeah, where the kid goes and throws the, the rock through the, the glass. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> Charlie Chaplin walks up. I got a window for oh, you. Oh, you need a fix. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Smart businessman. It is. That Tramp. Uh, I'm I'm excited for episode three and four and five and six. Um, we've got quite a few that we're gonna be watching before the the next recordings we do. We'll be doing a double batch. Um, That's right. Next episode we will be skipping any Deuce coverage uh, for mm-hmm. one week, and then we'll be right back on it. Yeah, just right. so the listeners know. Um, I guess what do you think is going? just kind of like what we did with sharp objects i think that we should probably do this whenever we watch an entire series and and kind of discuss it yeah what do you think is going to have happened by episode nine just based on what you know now um the thought that i have put into about where this is going to go has centered mostly around maggie gyllenhaal's character in her sort of budding career as a filmmaker um that's sort of what i have been most interested in and excited by um, I very much feel the passion she has for trying to make something that transcends the luridness of the porn industry. So um, I see that narrative continuing, and I think I, ex- I think at this time feel that she will succeed, and I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic, perhaps. Um, and. Uh, it's hard because there's so many characters to kind of think about where they're all going to go. But um, I think talking about what you just brought up about the 
individual concerned about what this is going to do for New York City and tourism and income for the city. Um, I think that's a totally plausible direction for this to become something about the city putting pressure on all these individual forces that we've seen at play so far. Mm. What do you got? I kind of took yours. Well, that, that's not really the whole scope because yeah. I think that that's going to play out through season three as well. Yeah, now that I sure. know that that's when it, and I think that we'll see a, a true capitalization there, but I'm sure that'll come with season or with episode by the episode nine as well. But yeah. I think that I get the general sense that we're going to see some pimps murked. Mm. Um, maybe some, some prostitutes as well. Um, yeah. Maybe some prostitutes will do some of the murking. I don't know. I think a lot of bodies might hit the floor by episode nine. Yeah. Um, especially with the way that the mafia begins talking. Um, I also mm. think that we're going to see some gay bashing coming. Yeah. Um, judging by what happens in episode two, which is very disconcerting, but very accurate historically. Yeah. I also think we might see some gays, uh, or, or I would think we might see the gay community uh, going back and maybe killing some mafia or mafiosos, yeah. which yeah. I will also enjoy quite a bit, I think, yeah. to be yeah. honest, because yeah, they're, really they're, about them. that nightclub and nightlife of the gay club is some of the funnest in the oh, yeah. in the show. I think Maggie will ascend mm -hmm. to being a successful director, and I think she will also become a producer. Mm. And I think yeah. she will likely be funded by someone from L.A., um, mm. and I think that's yeah. maybe coming with these awards that's happening yeah, yeah at the moment um i think that we're going to see some of the prostitutes segue out of new york um unceremoniously into la yeah sort of this west industry. this east coast west coast um thing. shift is gonna yeah. be interesting and i think there's a strong possibility that they write out or kill one of the franco characters Ooh, don't do it well i think that um that's maybe what they have to do that's how I'll put it. Yeah. Um, to appease uh, the producers that are worried about James Franco being in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps a season three without Franco? Think that could be? I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. they killed both of the characters at the moment. Um, mm. I think that it's written in a way where Deborah could take over um, kind of the, the narrative role of, of mm. James's good character. And yeah. we wouldn't and if the skyscraper plot takes out the mafia and this nightclub yeah. we don't need this nightclub anymore necessarily we don't need the deuce quote unquote mm, um, yeah. in the same way that we do and perhaps we could even see the fellow who's always running the breakfast restaurant yeah yeah come over and take over that bar even yeah which yeah. I wouldn't be surprised by where we could see Mike ascend into that role yeah I, I think that there's a lot of things in play where it seems like James might be gone which is really disappointing but i also feel like james needs to go make his own art it, it's about this show is about so many things and there's so few things on the air that are like it yeah that to to overreact and kill off these characters if they did is very disappointing who knows maybe he'll make it to the end we'll just have we'll to see. see tbd um that's a wrap cheers We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.